looking at you, kid. I'm Charles Foster King! Hey, Stella! Suck on this. All right, well, let's go ahead and let this fucker rip. What is going on, everybody? This is Wrong Real episode 510. It's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard. And today we're going to be tackling the topic of manly movies that make men misty. And for this topic, I've got two of the manliest men who also are prone to get misty when talking about movies that I've ever met. We've got Bill Tech and Moose Matson, who y'all have never been on the podcast together before, so it is a pleasure and a privilege to unite you guys on your first episode together on Wrong Reel, hopefully the first of many to come, but welcome back to Wrong Reel. Well, it's almost like that scene where Carl Weathers and um, Arnold kind of shake hands, <laughs> and then there's an explosion somewhere. It's that level of manliness that we're that we're aspiring to, and and I'm thrilled to yeah. be on with my buddy Moose, who who uh, I've spoken to before, but never been on a podcast before. Well, Moose, you've been uh, taking the internet by storm the uh, the last few months with your regular Twitter poetry readings and your scene reenactments and martial arts demonstrations. <laughs> uh, how are you doing when you're not um, when you're not hamming it up for the camera at home? I'm doing fine right now, James. Um, you know, it's it's amazing that. Uh, uh, what was it? Your episode with Victor, the uh, Cthulhu uh, episode. Well, not Cthulhu episode, but um, that episode got me talking to uh, Victor, you know, on Twitter and sharing some of my poems with him. And he was like, no, you need to get on the YouTube and do some of those, uh, some of those poems on YouTube or no, no, on, on, on Twitter. And so I did that. And. And then I started getting more comfortable, and I started doing more and more. Next thing you know, I'm doing all these crazy videos, and uh, so it's, it's it's Victor and you guys that have uh, you know been so nice to uh, like and retweet and stuff well, like that. The scene that, that you me... reenacted from Temple of Doom was hysterical, but I think my favorite one was early on, <laughs> where you were basically hanging out in the dark. And you got really close to the camera, and you had this lighting that really accentuated like your eyes and cheekbones. Were almost like you had like weird little like glimmer in your eyes, and you were reciting some terrifying poem. And I was like, "This is legitimately unnerving. Like it's it's really sensational stuff." So if you ever want to set up a YouTube channel where you can just unleash the unbridled fury of Moose Mats on a regular basis, I would happily walk you through the entire process. <laughs> I, I feel that my uh, all my content is pretty much what you saw. I'd be like, I, I can't do like a whole show or something like that. Moose, did, would, did you ever? Were you an actor? Did you ever do any acting? No, sir. Really? Because you're fucking natural, son. Well, you know, with my ex-wife, I acted a lot, and uh, <laughs> you know, so and with some other people, but <laughs> they didn't appreciate it. Well, the world is a stage, as I say. Well, Bill, how are things? How are things down in Miami? Uh, any any updates of any kind on your various filmmaking endeavors? You know, my big regret on this picture is not enough moose in it, not enough moose mats and kicking shit down and <laughs> fucking reciting Edgar Allan Poe and just the guy's a modern master. Nothing really new in my world, just cutting my dock. But um, you know, I was talking to Moose. We wound up calling each other. I think I had posted something about Excalibur. Was it? Did I? And that it made me misty, and he was like, you know, th there's certain scenes in movies that that make me misty, and these are the scenes. And we just started talking about, you know, how sometimes you get choked up watching a flick, and I thought, you know, this this man is a very large, imposing man, but he's very sweet. Yeah. Also, I mean, the big, strong, powerful people sometimes can be big, giant puppy dogs, or like the scene from uh, Big Lebowski: strong men 
also cry, which is you know, truer words <laughs> yeah. never spoken. But a quick, very serious <laughs> philosophical question for the two of you, since uh, one of you is a ground specialist and the other is a striking specialist. Say the two of you were to meet <laughs> on the field of battle fighting for opposing causes. What, what would happen in this uh, epic showdown between these two very manly men? <clears throat> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we, we would face off and then a bigger problem would come and then we would team up together to face the problem. Nice. That would be extraordinary. That Stand was what I was thinking to back too. Defending each other. I like that's it. what I was thinking too. <laughs> like the much maligned with Superman and Batman team up, something like that. Absolutely. You can grab his legs and I'll kick him in the face. <laughs> That's actually a fucking perfect plan. <laughs> I thought about it. I'm not going to say that I didn't think about it. I was like, yo, I wonder, could I take this dude? This dude has fucking got skills. Well, the fact that he's a, a, a an armed forces veteran that he is, and I have no idea how old you are, but the fact that you can still throw those crazy roundhouse kicks, the fact that the guy's built like a redwood, I think that in this particular case, he might get more of the cuddly Bill Tech, the more like, oh, let's not fight. Let's just be friends. It'd be He's like Hoist Gracie versus Ken Shamrock. You got to you know, use your technique to defeat the bigger man. I'm not going to say I didn't think about it. I was like, can I get in? Can I shoot in and take this dude down? Uh, and then I was like, I doubt I'm even going to get close. He'll probably clock me and see me coming and clock me. And I'd be out like when uh, Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey. That was a wild fight. <laughs> I, yeah, I watched that one a couple of times. Well, Moose, because I didn't ask you about this on the previous appearance mm. when we talked about how Needham and I got called out by Tony Stella. Tony's like, how come we didn't <laughs> talk about any of these things? I was like, I was totally unaware, and he didn't bring it up. So I was like, I don't know what's going on. Just a, just real quick, I know you're a humble man, but just for people out there who don't know, <laughs> give us the, the lay of the land when it comes to your interest in martial arts and your – because you mentioned briefly some of your interest in stunt work toward the end of our Hal Needham episode. But I totally failed to appreciate it. I'm going to give you a platform to talk about some of the the training you've gone through. So what, what, what anything you want to share? Not really. Not really? Cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. We, we can go over the pair of the collectibles in your room and, instead if you prefer because you've got, you've got quite a man cave on display behind you. Let's just look at Robbie the Robot and, uh, and some other things. Look, I've got, a, uh, I've, got a, I've got a Merlin here. Do you remember Merlin? I do. Vividly. Oh, shit. Merlin. That's that electronic device. Not the wizard for those at home that can't exactly. be watching. But so what is your martial arts background? I don't even think I asked that question. Uh, my martial arts background. It started uh, watching Black Belt Theater. It, it was either like Friday nights or Saturday mornings. Black Belt Theater would come on in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And then um, no formal training at all. All Just, those roundhouse kicks and all that shit, and there's nothing formal? No, no, nothing formal. I, just, I think uh, I can take him. I think I can take him. <laughs> <laughs> some point down the road, we're all going to get good and liquored up and maybe put y'all in some of those inflatable sumo wrestler outfits and turn y'all loose on each other and see what happens. We had a sumo wrestling battle at my fraternity in college, <laughs> and it got just completely insane because we had a couple of kids in our fraternity that were high school rivals that hated each other in high school. Oh, shit. That's And the gloves good. were off. And like one guy was like grabbing people and doing these like back rolls where he'd plant his foot in the person's chest and like threw this guy into the fireplace, and the suits started losing air. So it's basically you have these guys that are now fighting wearing these big baggy suits with none of the protective air in them. And it, yeah, anyway, one person lost a tooth. It was delightful for the observers, but probably less so for the guy who got his face smashed in. Holy shit. Well, I think that's fair. I think if we put – we restrain Moose in a giant bag and we, <laughs> we, we, we tie him down, I think I got a shot. Any other martial arts experience I have, I, I'm not allowed to talk about. 
Fair enough. I have a teeny tiny bit. I took a year of karate or taekwondo in college. Basically, they called it Miyasim karate, but it was almost identical to, uh, to, to taekwondo just because it, the, the teacher came from South Korea. And then I had a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu while in business school, a little bit of Muay Thai, and I took a few Muay Thai classes here in New York, but never anything beyond like just a kind of casual, flirtatious uh, curiosity. But it does make you appreciate a little bit just how much work and effort goes into getting good at this stuff. So I'm glad I've got a little foundational knowledge that allows me to appreciate watching MMA a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's great exercise, even if you never plan on doing anything with it. I heard you talk about, you know, your brief flirtation with uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I personally think that that's going to make a huge comeback for James Hancock. I think there's going to come a day where you're like, I'm going to do this again. I know you didn't love it, but I have a feeling you're going to do it again. Well, I'm, I mean, in New York, there are no excuses. There are tons of really good schools here. I mean, you've got Henzo Gracie teaching here. You've got John Danher teaching here. You have some of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in the world with like a full, fully operational, thriving school like 15, 20 blocks from my place. So if I ever wanted to do it, then once again, we, we live in the era of no excuses. Uh, Marcus Penn's uh, partner in crime over on Zebras in America, Scott Thoreau, he's been doing jiu-jitsu for like two years now, and his entire <clears throat> body has changed. I mean, he was kind of a heavy set guy, so we started doing it. And now he's like lean and wiry, and uh, he's completely, totally obsessed. It's a mean, jiu-jitsu is a big thing right now. I mean, uh, it's everywhere. It's bananas. And when you train BJJ, you're supposed to roll when you go to other places. So if I go to New York, I'm supposed to go to Henslow School or Dahmer School or whatever. I don't know if I said his name right, but you're supposed to go to another school and say, hi, I'm from Miami. You're supposed to train every week no matter where you are, and they'll lend you a gi, and it's one big family, and, and you kind of represent your school and roll with the guys there or the girls. And um, so I'm supposed to do that when I go to New York or L.A., but I, I've never done it. And my professor was like, you're such an idiot. You should totally roll in New York. You had great schools there and great guys and, and girls, and it might be really fun. So I'm supposed to do it next time. Yeah, I well, I was studying Capoeira when I lived in L.A., and my teacher was a big believer in that. We're like, once a month, we'd go visit another school. And admittedly, Capoeira is more like breakdance fighting than actual fighting, but it is still – there is a lot of technique involved, but no one's going to go like into a street fight and use Capoeira. I'm sorry. It just it, it, No matter how much you love that scene from Ong Bak, Two, I think, when he fights the guy with uh, with Capoeira, but it's a badass scene in any event. But I'm a big believer in that. But I remember when Guy Ritchie came on the Joe Rogan Experience to promote the King Arthur film he was working on. He also was doing that. He'd been training in jiu-jitsu for a couple of years, and every time he would visit a, a city to shoot or for publicity tours or whatever, he would always go to the local jiu-jitsu school, get some rolling in, and yeah, he seemed to love it. He seems like a cool guy. My friend is good friends with him and goes to shoot. Uh, uh, clay up or I don't know if they shoot actual ducks or whatever the hell people shoot but he goes up to Guy Ritchie's place and does that clay pigeons buddy. and all that kind of stuff yeah up yeah, in England that's good fun yeah his latest movie The Gentleman I thought was really cool it came out like in January or February it was one of the last movies that came out before the uh, before the lockdown but Moose I see you sighing uh, exhaling I've got it. angrily I haven't seen it yet oh gotcha I thought you were exhaling because you uh, you hated the film and you were gonna get throw me a spinning no, no, wheelhouse no. kick remember he's a positive guy when we were uh, we were doing the Hal Needham episode, and you had asked me if I'd seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I said no because I was waiting until we got done with that episode because I had heard about the similarities between the relationship with Bert and Hal, and uh, with uh, Leonardo's character, yeah, Rick and, and Cliff, yeah, yeah, Rick and Cliff. And so, uh, but right after we were done, the very next day, boom, I, I was watching it, and I, 
I, I couldn't believe how happy I was watching that movie. Does that qualify as a manly movie that makes men misty? Did it make me misty? <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't remember if it made me misty. I, it, it, I, you know what it is. Sometimes it, the nostalgia alone sometimes can make me misty, and uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe the first time won't do it, but if I watch it again, it might. It it didn't make me misty the first time I saw it. It's one of my favorite movies. It's like a drug to me. I take it and I just fly to another place. It's my favorite jam, and it didn't make me misty the first time I saw it. But I saw it in theatrically six times with six different people. So I wanted to experience it through their eyes, you know. And the last two, three times, whenever Rick starts, what's what's going on with Easy Breezy now? Well, pumpkin or whatever he says, you know. Yeah. Um, it, uh, the waterworks. I mean, I just cry ah, like a baby. Yeah, Leo I'm really like a sells baby. that scene. He's like, I guess it got to be more than I thought. <laughs> He's... It's pretty moving. Now, some of Leo's best stuff because it's it's pitiful and moving and hysterical all at once. Like Leo really brought his A game for that in ways that he hasn't and like you watch a movie like Inception and he's he's like super duper Leo mode, like I'm an A-list movie star, here I am, I'm gonna do my thing. But it's very rare where he shows that kind of fragility and that kind of ego that's starting to collapse and wither and I thought he was so goddamn good once upon a time in Hollywood. So maybe that's a good way to segue into our topic at hand of manly movies that make me misty because there are movies that make me misty, but they're usually specific scenes that really get to me and will just whether it's chills up the spine, goosebumps down the arms, or in the cases of a few movies, like spontaneous waterworks. And for me at the top of my list would be the movie that I saw six times in the theater, Return of the King, whenever the writers of Rohan would arrive to save Minas Tirith, and Theoden would begin his inspirational speech. I wouldn't even try and hold him back because I would, I, was, I would just like enjoying the emotion of the scene. I just found it to be overwhelming. And I've seen that scene probably a hundred times now. 
And every single time, even if I've just watched it five minutes prior, I still get those little goosebumps up and down the back and down, up, up and down my neck. And so for me, that's what I'm talking about. When people are wondering, what is this strange topic we've cooked up? It's those kinds of moments. And I, I, I don't know if like you would qualify Return of the King as like a manly movie, but that's certainly a manly scene when the writers of Rohan come to, to save the, uh, the people of Gondor. You had mentioned that before to me about that scene. I think you sent that scene to me and I watched it. <clears throat> and uh, it didn't make me misty. And I was like, maybe I, maybe I need to see it a couple times. Maybe you're just a cold-hearted bastard with no feelings. Maybe, maybe. Nothing makes me cry or misty except for what's my on uh, my five, my five list right there. But uh, you've read all those books too, haven't you? M many times over. Exactly. And, and I don't know uh, how, how much that scene is uh, any different in the book. His speech is almost word. It's one of the few parts of the three movies where the text and of the book and the movie are virtually identical. Where his exact speech that he gives his men, they pretty much got it like word for word. So that's another and reason it had a huge impact on me. I was about to say, when you read it, did you get those kind of feelings? It was inspiring, not like tears, but definitely like euphoria and thrills. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like it's on, there's a, there's a chapter in the book Return of the King called <clears throat> the Battle of Pelennor Fields. And it just, it from start to finish, all, because that battle is like water sloshing back and forth in a bathtub where the, the tide keeps turning and something will happen. And it's like suddenly the forces of Mordor are winning and something that will happen. And now mm -hmm. the forces of Gandalf are winning and it keeps going back and forth and it just keeps turning and turning. But when the writers of Rohan arrive, that's one of the big moments where there's a massive turning point in the battle. And yeah, it's really inspiring stuff. It's definitely some of the best work of Tolkien's career. Yeah. I had thought that uh, maybe you had read that a number of times and you had that inside of you. And then when you watched the movie, it, it hit you even stronger. Yeah. Just um, it was the staging when you hear that horn blowing and you see like Gandalf's eyes kind of light up minus tears, it's going down and they hear those horns. And then you see those horses coming up over the hill with the sun behind them. Cause also it's been a manufactured like evening of the, the entire night where um, Sauron has used his magic to basically make perpetual darkness. And as the riders of Rohan arrive, a, uh, a crow, not a crow, a, a cock crows, with the rising of the sun, because it sees the sun rising, and as soon as they hear that, I'm getting chills even talking about it, they know that there's been a break <laughs> in, uh, in Sauron's spell, and so it's it's magical stuff, and Peter Jackson, while he has kind of ruined his reputation for me <laughs> in recent years with those god-awful three Hobbit films, all of which I, I totally despise, I cannot deny that when Return of the King came out, for me, that was a big movie-going event. This yeah. is like the fantasy version of Lawrence of Arabia for me, and I just I, I ate it up and went back to see that movie every chance that I got. But, Bill, earlier I, I was kind of talking over you. You had something you wanted to, to interject with. I was trying to be a comedian, James. And oh, I was gotcha. like, that's, I said, that's not a nerdy thing to say at all. Oh, gotcha. When you enough. said your comments, I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, now no. that you've said it and explained it so beautifully, I feel like a heel. I feel like, <laughs> I feel well, like fucking James Spader being a dick is what I feel like. Now. Well, don't worry, I feel that like... will get you in the mood to cry. Absolutely. Himself. This is an episode where being either a dick or spontaneously weeping are both equally acceptable because on one hand while this is all about movies that make us misty on the other hand it's fun to make fun of people too so uh it's all it's all it's all <laughs> well, fair game well wait till you hear mine i mean you're gonna be like well you thought i was nerdy bill what the fuck are all you right, saying well, you just threw yourself on the hand grenade and to to save the rest of us so let's 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 get this ball rolling number five from bill tech what do you got for us well i put mine into categories uh george lucas said that there's things in films that he every when he's watching the Star Wars movies, this is back when he was producing like uh, I think he said this on Return of the Jedi. 
he's like there's always there's got to be a moment and there's a moment like that in empire and there's a moment like that in in return of the jedi where the the visual and the music together give me chills and make me misty he didn't maybe say misty but it make him tear up uh and that's what gets me it's a mixture of music and images um and something else which 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 um moose and i were talking about but i'll, I'll let him address that but so I kind of categorize mine because there's so many Bill Conti moments that I didn't want to do Bill Conti's top 10, you know, because I'll do victory and Rocky two and Rocky three and Rocky Bobo. And there's so many John Williams moments. There's so many, you know, moments from these great composers where the image matches. So I kind of divided it up. So I'm going to start with um, the great Jerry Goldsmith and in Star Trek, the motion picture. I love the trilogy of Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock and The Voyage Home. Those three movies make me weep in many, many, many different parts. And usually it's about the friendship and that moment of like, you're taking me to the promised land. And oh, I get a little misty just talking about it. But um, Star Trek One is outside of those. And it, it is it is a laborious, weird movie. But when Captain Kirk and, and Mr. Scott are going on board the Enterprise and they're taking that long beautiful tour around the ship you could i mean you could fill a jar with my tears because i was you know i didn't have any friends growing up and uh just captain kirk was my friend so i was dying for that movie to come out i think i was like 11 years old when it came out my mom took me that friday night we waited in line forever and we sat there when that score came up that jerry goldsmith score my god and then uh, I know Stephen Simpson's going to be doing backflips here as I speak about Goldsmith. <laughs> and we share that love for his beautiful scores. And and uh, when Captain Kirk and Mr. Scott come on board, I thought it was such a egalitarian, beautiful gesture on the part of Robert Wise and the studio and everybody because it really takes its time as they go on board. Like if they knew that all these people were waiting to see that ship and they just wanted to study its curves and its lines and its – it's 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 beauty. It's a beautiful object, just as an object of art. It's a beautiful piece. Absolutely. And then with that score and those characters 
And the way it comes on board, uh, not to mention when he takes it out of dry dock and that guy does the backflip. Forget it. I get Misty just talking about it now. And I haven't saw <laughs> it when I was it 11 It blows my mind that people for so long use that movie as a punching bag, including some wrong real contributors who will go unnamed, but they know who they are. And I hope they feel appropriately guilty. But Star Trek The Motion Picture... The more time goes by, the more I realize it's my second favorite Star Trek movie behind Wrath of Khan because it's the weirdest. It's actually a legit, strange sci-fi flick, and it has so much style and so much atmosphere, and it feels it's so much of its own thing, independent from the rest of the franchise. I think Star Trek The Motion Picture deserves to have its praises sung each and every opportunity. So I 100% fully endorse your your love of that movie and will not make fun of you in any way, shape, or form. Well, no, it's really just those scenes because let me make a quick observation about that film. I, I don't think it's a successful movie because Robert Wise comes from a different school of filmmaking. So he comes from an older school of filmmaking. He's the editor of Citizen a, Kane. He's a, you know, it's a different, different generation. Different generation, but he doesn't hit it hard with the music beats and music cues and lighting cues that we're used to from the show. So here are all these characters that we're used to interacting a certain way and they do act that way in Wrath of Khan and in Search for Spock. When something dramatic happens, there's a score to it. There's a shot. There's a whatever. Here they're just kind of it's very formal. So it's the characters we know in a completely different kind of movie. Also, so it does lose characters. Me. I love how the early Star Trek movies would introduce new characters. Like later on, if you're watching like Undiscovered Country, it's just a nostalgia fest where you're getting to spend time with the characters you love. But I love how early on they were still building the franchise. And so both Wrath of Khan and the motion picture introduced some new characters to the crew that I think are incredible additions. So I just feel like the, the franchise was... It wasn't repeating itself at this point. It was trying things new. So I think motion picture fucking rules. Well, I just, let me just say this, and I'll turn it. I'll, t- I'll stop. I'll stop with the motion picture. But if you notice, I don't think it's a successful movie. But I do think that parts two, three, and four, that trilogy, that, which I like to call the needs of the many or the needs of the one or whatever, they have the same beats as that one movie. Like Spock learns to embrace emotion by the end of part four. This crazy thing comes. It's going to destroy the earth. But it's actually not really hostile. Like in part four, um, Kirk gets command of the Enterprise again. Oh, that's the that's the feature. That's the sound of the, of the thing. And but uh, that's an effect that Moose did with his mouth. He's a very talented guy, very vocally talented. Anyway, it has a lot of the same story points. It's just that they hit them in a more Star Trekky way, and that's it for me. Groovy. Well, just before I turn things over to Moose for his top five, you mentioned Return of the Jedi beforehand. I didn't even think of it when I was preparing, but there's a moment in that as a kid that would make me misty. When Vader is looking for Luke in the Emperor's room, and he starts basically saying, "If um, if you're not going to turn to the dark side, perhaps your sister will." And Luke loses his shit and comes after him, and he's just going after him with like so much power and so much anger and so much hate. Yeah. And you hear this these voices like this music swelling. That really got to me and gave me like a, a, just waves of chills. No matter how many times I watched it, and I was watching it, you know, pan and scan some shitty TV, probably with like a sunbeam from a window ruining the image, like worst possible <laughs> conditions, and it still was getting to me. So I just, uh, when you mentioned Return of the Jedi, that that bit came back to me. But Moose, spotlight is on you, my friend. <clears throat> Number five. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of movies where you'll have scenes in it. That won't make you misty, but it'll it'll make you swell. It'll it'll you get the the, the goosebumps running running up your scalp and down your arms and everything. You'll really like it, and it's almost enough to make you misty. Uh, maybe in later viewings it might make you misty, but mm, that that Return of the Jedi one was a good thing. And Star Trek, I tell you, I will tell you this. No, I don't. Tell you. Star Trek one when. <laughs> There's a, there's a couple scenes when he's going around that ship in the beginning and it's the gratuitous, 
uh, empire porn. It's, it's, <laughs> empire it's, porn. It's, yeah, it's, 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 porn. It's enterprise porn. Yeah, it's basically it's enterprise and, porn. Yeah. And you're going around that thing, and you can you. For me, you're watching Kirk, and you're watching the 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 love in his eyes and the enthusiasm he has for when he's going around that ship and just looking at it because that's his that's his baby that's his ship and that oh oh, oh there it goes I'm getting chills on my scalp uh, no, but, if it, uh, that's the that's, Playboy centerfold of the Star Trek franchise. <laughs> look, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Bill. When the there's a scene in that it almost made my list for that one scene. Kirk is on that ship. And he brings Bones aboard, and Bones like, "What the fuck? Why am I on this ship? I'm a retired, you son of a bitch!" And he's like, "He's like," and he and he, Kirk's listening to him. Then he's like, "Bones, there's a thing out there, and it's coming here. It's coming to Earth. Damn it, Bones, I need you." And then you look at Bones's eyes, and you just see, "Hey, my buddy fucking needs me," and he just says, "Permission to come aboard." Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and it that gets that gets me right there. It'll make me misty. That's oh, a yeah. beautiful scene where he's like, "I need you badly," and he gives him his hand twice, like, "Take my hand." Oh, it's look. I'm just talking about. It. I get a little misty. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel it. like I feel like the motion picture is. I don't know. The other ones, they're all great to me. Mm, they're all great, uh, but they all feel more family centric in the latter ones, whereas in the first one, it's still family-centric, but it's this big thing out there. It feels more like a Star Trek episode to me yeah. from the original series than the other ones, although it's not, you know, there's no question about you know, Wrath of Khan is just the best thing ever. Yeah, Wrath of Khan's definitely a killer flick, and yeah, I just, uh, I, I love one, two, yeah, I, I really enjoy three, but less so... Um, enjoy four, but less so five. Saw a million times as a kid, but whatever. And yeah, number six is a, a very fitting send off to the original crew. But uh, yeah, Undiscovered Country. Nichols right. Nichols Meyer makes a triumphant return. But you're you're leaving me just like salivating in anticipation of what your number five might I'll be. I'll bring oh, my my phone just died. My phone with my list just died. <laughs> Luckily, I know that number five was Excalibur. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Swear faith to me, and you shall have mercy. I need battle lords such as you, and I will not swear faith to a squire. Never! Never! You're right. I'm not yet a knight. You, Irians, will knight me. That is night tonight. I can't offer you mercy. What's this? What's this? Keep it, Julians! of God, St. Michael and St. George, I give you the right to bear arms and the power to meet justice. That duty I will solemnly obey as knight and king. I never saw this. Rise, 
King Arthur. I am your humble knight, and I swear allegiance to the courage in your veins. So strong it is, its source must be Uther Pendragon. I doubt you no more. Oh my god, perfect. <laughs> Excalibur! Um, Are I, you with us or against us? Against you! Against you! Oh, man, nothing nothing greater than Urien's screaming. Everybody's screaming. Everybody's screaming, but Urien screams the best. <laughs> oh, he there was a the review best. in, uh, I don't remember where it said, it's not the Dark Ages, it's the Death Ages. These people just scream all the time. <laughs> so damn funny. Uh, Especially like in the, in the earlier parts of the movie. Yeah, it is the movie where everybody yells, but it's part of its charm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with, with Excalibur, I think there's scenes in that movie that uh, maybe didn't make me misty before, but now they make me misty. But right off the bat, and Bill, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Arthur is on the uh, on the battlements. I cry like a baby. He, he jumps off and he takes Urien off his horse, and he stands there with his sword to his neck, and he's like, "Swear faith to me." <laughs> well, uh, swear faith to me, <laughs> and I'll give you mercy. I need battle lords like you. Swear. <laughs> he's like a noble knight. Swear faith to a squire. Never! Yeah, people in the back are like, never, never! Like, everybody's oh, screaming. Do you know who that guy is screaming never, never? It says like Syrian Hines or however you That's pronounce it. Syrian Hines. Yeah. I just saw that today. I was like, oh, I see it, I see it. Yeah, young man. But when he looks around and he says, you're right, I'm not a knight. You Urians will knight me. And he hands Urians a sword and he gets down on his knees. And Urians holding that sword. Everything's quiet now. Everybody's looking at them. Merlin's like, what's this? What's this? I never saw and this he, before. Yes. And Hurians, he's shaking. It's like the power of Excalibur is like coursing through his body, his fiber. And he and he sees the, the, the courage that's uh, before him in Arthur. And then he goes ahead and knights him. And then he and he gets down and he hands him a sword back and uh Boy, I wish I had my phone with me. Because yeah, I doubt you no longer. Yeah, and but then it's that score. As Bill mentioned before, it's the music and the images combined, and the classical music that was chosen for the film from uh, from Wagner's The Ring Cycle. It's some of the most jaw dropping, bone chilling music ever committed to film, and perfect, perfectly used in this context. And anytime that music kicks in, it, it like it sends like vibrations through my whole body in particular that scene and also a little bit earlier in the movie when uh arthur's anyone who would be a knight and follow a king like follow me and they oh. go riding off oh. and you start hearing the uh, o fortuna music kick in same thing misty chills yeah. getting chills even talking about it. my forearms are going berserk right now and so excalibur is one scene after another where i just get the waves of emotions that you're describing yeah when he hands him the sword and he says uh he says uh uh, the courage in your veins is so strong. Its source must be that of Uther Pendragon. Yeah. I, I, I freaking lose it. It's, it's so good. Yeah. Same, so. same answer here. That's it always makes me cry. And yes, to James's point as well, that scene always makes me cry. If any of you would follow be a knight and follow a king. Oh my God. I go, I cry. And also when Arthur pulls the sword out for the first time 
and all of a sudden that's bum 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 and you're like whoa where's that sound <laughs> come Father, from i beg and, your forgiveness <laughs> no, you must put oh it back <laughs> oh that's so good and, and or when he goes to his brothers Kay, did you draw the sword and he goes yes no Arthur. <laughs> and you're like oh that's so beautiful like and even when arthur comes back i'm telling you i cry right now and when arthur comes back and Kay's like, Arthur, I picked out a horse for you. And it's so sweet. It's so sweet. Yes. Yeah, it's a magical movie. And it it's kind of stands alone. We were talking about this when we did our uh, live stream about Conan, how it's the only one. Excalibur for me is kind of one of, it's one of those movies where it's the only one that has that strange, intoxicating like darkness and magic and medieval times all stirred together in this really intense brew. And no matter how many times I watch it, it doesn't lose an ounce of power. It just seems to keep gaining more. It's spectacular, and that all those in-camera effects, the 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 love of nature, yeah, and the green the, light that always seems like coming through the cracks light. in the ground. The green lights so, are really cool. So it, beautiful. It makes the whole world seem imbued with some sort of sorcery. Oh, I was it's watching a clip of it today, and he had broken Excalibur, and he's like, "What have I done?" He's like, "You broke what could not be broke," and he throws it into the water, and when. The lady of the lake comes back up and he's leaning over to get it. You can see the green light emanating yeah. from her and like shining all over him as he's taking My it. My only beef is that she's got bangs of like, all right, that's it's again it's the early eighties. I get it. Bangs are popular. This is the lady in the lake. She probably wouldn't she have like bangs. like Bo Derek to me. <laughs> yeah. So moving move, moving right along. Quattro Bill Tech. <laughs> Uh, so again so you know again i had to kind of break it up right i got okay well we did jerry goldsmith what are we going to pick for 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 bill conti and bill conti should be closer to the top now when these lists are being made is number one the top is number five the top i don't know how it goes we're working our way but towards I'm starting your favorite out with five being the first one but, yeah so first one so i'll save the best for last so yeah. so i gotta i gotta go with bill conti and unfortunately poor james has suffered through this with me before now, of course, I could choose amazing scene from Rocky too, but I also wanted to pick stuff that 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 Moose wouldn't pick. So I was like, well, if he says Rocky two, I'll say Rocky three. If he says Rocky three, I'll go to Balboa. I'll try to mix it up in there. And then I realized that my love for victory would would be my Bill Conti pick. And you know, when when it's a combination of when Pele does that spinning kick in the air, and and they show it three times in a row. Which when if you ever see the AFI tribute to John Houston, you've seen and we've talked about it. And Pele's like, I made this kick one time. And then the John, I did it like four times. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, uh, Pele was my father's favorite soccer player. And my dad played soccer in Europe for six years in the United States Army. And they had a team. And they didn't play versus the Nazis, but they played versus the European countries and stuff like that. So that then when, they, when the Allies get the ball and they're marching it down the field, that incredible score from Bill Conti. Um, that's my dog, boys. Yeah, I saw the cat was uh, was was, was making love to you earlier. But yeah, I mean, I, I, see this guy. Oh, this, hey, puppy dog, how you doing? This guy said, "This is the dumbest dog in the world." I caught, I found him running into traffic. To what is ass. the best dog scene in movie history that makes manly men misty? Uh, mine's from Reds. But go ahead, boys. I, well, there's that. a good one that I just watched yesterday, which I got reminded of, is um, in Ulysses from 1954, when Odysseus, a.k.a. Ulysses, comes home, and only his dog Argos recognizes him. He's dressed as a beggar. No one recognizes him. But Argos starts patting his tail against the floor, can barely move, but it's his old hunting buddy from 20 years prior. And so that was a very sweet moment with the puppy dog. That's really very, very sweet. This if I had doctor. seen that movie, which I told you earlier I hadn't, if I had seen that movie, that would probably be my number one. Yeah, it, it, as, as it, far it's as powerful stuff, without a doubt, without a doubt. 
Um, so for me, it's Bill. Con- it's uh, Bill Conti's rousing score and victory as the Allies march down the field and make that score. I'm not going to do the sound, but I can hear it in my head. If I ever want to get fired up, I play either the march from victory or I play like that last bit of it. And um, ironically, you can't get that soundtrack. It's crazy. It's almost like close to like four years ago that we did our episode about John Houston or maybe because I think our first episode ever, which is about your film one day since yesterday was summer, early summer of 2016 so it's crazy we've been recording podcasts now for four straight years you, you know james we've become good buddies in real life and i want to say uh thank you for helping so many people get turned on to that movie i really owe you a great deal thank you well you we owe you a great deal for entertaining the fucking shit out of us with your with your work and your your beautiful personality <laughs> you're, you're both beautiful man i'm getting a little misty right now frankly <laughs> all right well keeping the keeping this ball rolling down the field like in victory moose number four what is on your mind is your phone did well, you save I, your I, phone from i uh, want to talk about victory <laughs> ah cramp in my leg I want to talk about victory. Oh, get, get, get about by all means, then pick up pick up where, gotta, where he left off. Give me a chance to jump on his movie and be like, yeah, that scene. You you mentioned that scene where Paley does the kick, and that's a, that's a misty uh, scene for me as well. But it's he does the kick, and as it plays him doing that kick three times, it keeps flashing from him to Max von Sydow in the audience, you know, in the, in the stands, and he's on the German team. Well, not on the German team, on the German side. But he is a, what would you call him, Bill? He's a, he's not a soccer fan. He played soccer himself. Right on. And uh, so he's watching Pele do that move over and over again. And then he stands up and he's like, yeah, fantastic. And he starts clapping and all the other Germans around him are looking at him going, what are you doing, man? You're, you're clapping for the other team. But what he's doing is he saw an incredible move by an incredible player and he had to just stand up and give it recognition. And that's what gets me. And that's what's so beautiful about sport. And it unites the world. And I'm not a sports fan. <laughs> As you guys know, I don't know, Dick. I couldn't tell you who won the World Series or the World Series. I mean, I do love baseball, but I don't follow it regularly. I get caught up in it if I'm, say, I'm hanging out or dating somebody's into sports or something. But, um, but there's something about sport in film when they can like slow it down and put that music on that, that just individual ability to excel that. Or like in the natural when Robert Redford throws that pitch and the film slows down and the music kicks in. Yeah. I mean, sports are, they're not a lot of good sports movies, but when they work, they really touch something special inside you. Well, if you talk about the natural, you're going to, you're going to spoil my number one. Oh, Jesus Christ. Sorry. I I didn't accidentally (laughs) jump ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Sports and films. When you dramatize that and, and, and do it cinematically, it's just beautiful. They know how to pull your strings and they do it well. Yeah. Sports are universal. Even for kids who hate sports. And when I was a kid, I was like, I hate sports because my parents made me play lots and lots of sports. They sent me to sports camps. And it's a weird thing now where I mean, I had my lips stuck out like three inches pouting and I was just pissed. I was like, I want to play D and D. I want to play Nintendo. I want to play saxophone. But they would always send me to these like lacrosse camps and soccer camps and things like that. But now I value all those experiences because while I sucked at sports and just got my ass kicked, it did uh, you know teach me a little sense of humor and a little humility. And uh, yeah, effort in sports is a matter of character rather than reward. It's an end in itself, not a means to an end. That's the the motto they made us memorize, and it still holds true today. There's no like, doubt that it's great for people. It's just good for people to know. Like, and learning I, to fail, life is, learning to lose, learning to lose gracefully. It's huge. That, that's something in baseball. You know, if you're great, if you're great, if you're the best, you're going to lose seven out of ten times. 
and you still got to get up there and do it again. And that's the great stuff that sports teaches you. And and film is great at, at showing that. Beautiful. Like, geez, mom, I just created another maze. Come on, I wanna No, you're going to lacrosse camp. Yeah, I mean if she sent me to D and D camp, I probably would have just spontaneously <laughs> combusted from Joyce. So and maybe it's a good idea that she did not send me there because I always feel like kids are so good at pursuing what they are naturally drawn to. Parents almost need to encourage them to broaden their horizons by trying the shit they hate because kids are – if you love comics, guess what? They're going to find time to read comics. If they love D&D, they're going to find time to play D&D. But I avoided sports, so maybe it's a good thing they forced me out of, out of my comfort zone to confront my weaknesses. James, I think the reason that you get laid you know, at the rate that you do – you're such a stud is because they forced you out of your comfort zone. Uh, for me, my mom had to kick me out of the house. She's like, you're not watching Star Trek again. I would record <laughs> on a tape recorder, like not even like a video recorder. They didn't have those. And we record it. And so I could listen to the audio okay. and my mom would be like, you have to go outside and play, go outside and play. Motherfucker. Oh, wow. Yeah. Go ahead, miss. I said, I had Beastmaster recorded on audio cassettes. Very nice. The best. Yeah, I watched it a million times. That came on HBO so much I didn't have to record it. But I remember when uh, G.I. Joe was a big part of my life, and I had, they signed me up for tennis lessons, and tennis overlapped. And it, I, I couldn't get home in time to, to see the full episode of G.I. Joe. So I started skipping tennis, and I would like walk around the neighborhood pretending like I was there, <laughs> and I would come back home right as my show was starting. And some of them never caught on to the fact that I was like magically home right as the lesson ended because it ended like at <laughs> 5, right as like, the episode began. In any event, so um, yeah. number four. Or Mr. Uh, Mr. Matson, I'm sometimes I'm afraid that uh, I don't know if I can explain really what it is about some movies that get me. Uh, I think when it comes down to it, a lot of mine deal with uh, camaraderie and honor uh, between people. Sometimes even between combatants, uh, that gets me a lot. Uh, I've been talking about this movie a lot lately. It's uh, 1974's The Yakuza with uh, Robert Mitchum and uh, uh, Ken Takakura, directed by Sidney Pollack. What was that? I, I, talked to, uh, I talked about it to John Arminio the other day, and uh, I guess I swayed him enough that he went out and he bought the Blu-ray right away. And then even Bill Scurry jumped on. He was like, Moose, I was going like, to be buried in my Sidney Pollack collection so that I was going to get to it eventually. But I want to thank you because you made me watch it and I loved it. Something about it's, it's the, the honor between these two people or the friendship or lack of friendship in the beginning with these two people that bring them to – that makes them so close by the end of this movie, it, it absolutely kills me. I almost don't want to even tell you too much about it because – I think you said you may have seen it, but it was so long ago. Yeah, I saw James. it when I was like 20, and I was in a cloud of uh, marijuana haze, and I remember certain images, but I really uh, – if you asked me to write a summary, I, w- I, would, I would struggle. So, But the good news is it's like when my, my roommate at the time, when he discovered Repo Man, he got so wasted the first time that he watched it that the second night when he watched it again – he didn't remember any of it. He's like, "Yes, I get to watch it and fall in love with it all over again." And he was he was so happy and so delighted that he got to watch Repo Man for the first time twice. So same thing applies here with the Yakuza. And also, you're the first person to crack the seal on discussing Sidney Pollock on this podcast because even though I, I love him as a performer and, and as I love him as a director. We've never tackled any of them, so you officially – I mean, Jeremiah Johnson should have come up at this point. Although I guess Martin Kessler and I discussed The Swimmer, and uh, Sidney Pollack like, finished the movie mm-hmm. after it kind of flew off the rails. 
in any case, mm. but um, this is the first movie that he directed. I mean, but Bobby Deerfield's really, really cool. Obviously, Tootsie. I mean, he's got a bunch of good ones, but I love him in, like, fucking Eyes Wide Shut and uh, the, the Player and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, Sidney Pollack, yeah, he's a very cool, interesting performer. Oh, and I loved him in Woody Allen's film Husbands and Wives. It's an incredible performance. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Sidney Pollack fan. He's a fantastic actor. As well as director. Yeah. He'd rather be behind the camera, but when he's in front of it, he's great. Yeah. I actually might prefer him as an actor over a director, which might be heresy, but he's so <laughs> fucking good. Like, you, you can't resist him. Let me let me just throw jump on that train and say that I love him as an actor, too. That husbands and wives performers, where he walks, performs, where he walks, when he drags that, that actress out of the party. We're going home. like, hell! He's like, you're in there talking about crystals and bullshit. Like... <laughs> And there's, there's, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And he's fantastic. And then the Redford Pollock movies, Havana, Three Days of the Condor, um, The Electric Horseman. Yeah, we, I'd love to if you ever do an episode on him. But um, for Moose's point, you know, he told me, Billy, you got to watch the Yakuza. You got to do this for me, bro, especially because we're going to do this episode together. And only reason I haven't watched this, I've just been dealing with a bunch of crap here at home. But you I haven't to watched it? <laughs> I promise I am. Please don't beat me up. I promise I'm going to watch it. Well, here's the, the deal. I mean, but people who are listening to this podcast and enjoying this podcast, what y'all are missing are these divine performances by Moose throughout the episode. <laughs> these extreme <laughs> expressions. So, uh, y'all have to promise me that at some point I'm going to persuade y'all to come onto a YouTube live stream together at the same time on an appropriate topic. I want to see Moose on a live stream for sure. And I, I mean, I just will, with a gif you posted recently where you did a quick little combo up into the screen with like a, yeah, and, <laughs> and what, what was the word that you said as you did it? I have no idea. You're like, I, make up anyway, I was like, all right, I can run through walls now. My day is complete. Like, you know, and that's precisely what I needed. Yeah, oh, I loved it. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. All right, well, number three, Mr. Tech. Well, thanks for asking, gentlemen. So if we're going to break this down according to, like, directors or, or rather composers, and we talked about Bill Conti, we talked about Jerry Goldsmith, the next would have to be John Williams. And I, you know, my friend Moose was like, God, he's beating me to every fucking one of these things. No, you, you mentioned uh, the music, and then I think back and it's like, why didn't I mention the music in the Yakuza? Oh, because tell me about the music. You got a minute, the, bro? At the, beginning, the beginning of the Yakuza, the, mu <laughs> the music is... How do you explain it? it it's a, you, you get sort of a, a Japanese feeling in the music, but then it's almost like it's underwater. You get like an underwater sound to it. It's just amazing. I need to watch this film. You know, I had an experience like James. I had a film teacher at Miami-Dade Community College, my alma mater. It's now Miami-Dade College. <laughs> and he was not my favorite person. He was a sweet guy, but his choices in movies were like Flying Tigers by John Wayne. You know, just... I thought it was corny stuff. I mean, I, I'm not trying to put down that movie, but the guy was just annoying. Yeah, and, but if you're talking um, about John Wayne, there are other places to start than flying. No, 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 no. I love Wayne, and I won't hear yeah. a bad thing about John Wayne. I just watched McClintock for like the ninth time. <laughs> I, like, I love weird, off-brand Wayne. I think he's a stud and an amazing actor. However, um, this guy was just – he just this professor and I just didn't see eye to eye. And he showed the Yakuza. And I think because he showed it, I wasn't into it. So and also it was the morning. I was hungover as fuck. So it was like an eight a.m. class. So I need to watch it again, especially because my boy, the brutal, fantastic, incorrigible Moose Madsen says to watch. I watched so it, watch it five times that over the course of like three days, and then my Blu-ray came in because John 
uh, Arminio, he had gotten the Blu-ray for it, and he showed a pic, uh, an image from the screenshot. And I was like, holy crap, that looks beautiful. And so right away, I ordered the Blu-ray. So I have it on DVD. I have it on Amazon uh, because I couldn't find my DVD. Maybe I loaned it out. But uh, now I've got the Blu-ray, which, of course, has the, um, uh, what was it? It's a, a short film about, you know, the making of the movie and about the uh, the theme of the movie done by Sidney Pollack. I'd love to see fantastic. it. I'd love I can't to wait it. for you to watch it, and I'd love to hear about it. I'm going to watch it before the weekend is over. Before the week is over. <laughs> you get 70s Robert Mitchum? I had to watch Robert Mitchum again because uh, the recent episode James did with... Uh, uh, Simon O'Neill. Uh, oh, who was it? Yeah, Simon yeah. O'Neill. We talked about Farewell, My yes. Lovely. That was strong. Right after that was that, a great episode. very next day. Yes, it was. Right after the very next day, I watched Murder... Uh, what was it, Murder My Sweet? My Sweet. And uh, then, uh, what was it, for free on Amazon was the Robert Mitchum uh, version of, uh, oh, well, of The Big Sleep. Oh, The, the Big, Big Sleep. Sleep, gotcha, gotcha. And I was like, whoa, this is like in London, or this is in England, or in the 70s, or how am I going to like this? But it's robert mitchum you know yeah total stud one of, one of the all-time greats and uh but yeah we're going fair woman lovely i know uh bill tech you're a big sly stallone fan what do you think of that big nudity scene where uh he and that girl are throwing <laughs> down and that girl comes in like i can't remember what happens but he ends up like shooting like the mistress and you know it's total total chaos but it's, well, it's sly stallone's last big moment before uh before rocky it's the last role that he did before he became a star well, you know, I heard that episode and I loved it because I love Chandler and I love Philip Marlowe and I love The Long Goodbyes, one of my all-time favorite movies. And, and I love, you know, so I was all in on that episode. And also the knowledge that that gentleman brought to that episode was beyond the pale. Well, it Simon O'Neill is going to be coming back in July. We're going to be doing a Raymond Chandler part two about the movies that he worked on that were not based on his novels. So there's more to come on Raymond Chandler. Awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm awesome. excited for that. I'm jazzed for that. I mean, for that all the way. I don't know, because I've never seen that movie that you just mentioned. I've gotcha. never seen Sly. If I've never seen Sly's I John. haven't seen it either. I still want to see that one. Well, yeah, it, it, it absolutely fucking rocks. But uh, Mr. Tech, lay it on us, number three. So this is the John Williams category. And where do you mm. go with John Williams? Um, the one, I, I got a two, it's kind of a cheat, because I'm going to tell you one thing that always makes me cry, but that's not my manly Misty Movies pick. The one part that always makes me cry in E.T., when the the uh, the kids are coming up on the bikes, yeah, and the FBI guys are there, uh, Elliot looks and Spielberg instead of zooming in or dolling in, he does a he does three clicks, three cuts to get close, and I think he shows this guy with his hand on the trigger, or he, maybe he shows Elliot. Well, face unless you're watching the censored version where they're holding walkie-talkies, <laughs> but they're holding guns in the original version. Yeah, but he regrets doing that. He fakes it back. You know, he changed it back. Oh, I didn't know he changed it back. But when, oh, people, yeah, when goes, people make this kind of cosmetic changes, it makes my vision go red. Yeah, yeah, I'm not for that either. And Point. and he changed it back, and he was like, yeah, I fucked that up. Or like people um, act like a fur, like adaptive fur technology to Daryl Hannah's ass and splash. I'm like, there's a special place in hell for people who go back and fuck with movies. What is the adaptive fur technology? For the Darryl shit they Hannah's used ass? in that um that fucking cats movie. They used the exact same uh, technology, but covered her butt with hair, so you can't see her butt crack when she runs into the water. Is she in cats? Well, that's just wrong. Number one, exactly. <laughs> wrong. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say from Clan of the Cave Bear. <laughs> that, that would be a, a different proposition. But yes, Splash is a PG cut. movie, but PG in the early '80s <laughs> meant something different than PG now. And guess yeah, what? Yeah. Shocker. Values change over time. But yeah, I love how like rather than people like 
people are always trying to change the movie to their values as opposed to maybe change their values to appreciate a movie. And yeah, it's like uh, that old myth with like Theseus where he stops at that hotel or the lodgings where if you're too short for a bed, he stretches you out and tortures you. And if you're too long for the bed, he lops your feet off. I feel like that's how people who believe in censorship are They're like, oh, well, every movie needs to conform to my needs. They're like the bad guy in Theseus who's torturing people who don't fit the bed. That's a really great way to put it. I mean, that's a beautiful way to put it. I don't understand that. And, you know, one of the great things about watching movies is watching social mores that were from before. Splash was the first touchstone movie. They should just leave that alone. That's how it was. Exactly. Um, so, but anyway, they, that scene in E.T., when the bicycles take off and they fly up, um, it, John Williams' score, and this is a crazy thing, it sounds like bicycle chains. It, it does a th weird thing, and it sounds like... Right before the... Da, 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 yeah, before that. But right goes, before that, you yeah, hear it kind of yeah, kicking yeah, in. You yeah, hear yeah, this yeah. weird thing, and then yeah. was like, did Spielberg say to him, hey, can you make it sound like a bicycle chain? I don't know <laughs> he did, but it's great. And that almost was the number one, and certainly Raiders has a ton of them, whether it's like truck, what truck? And then you see Indy come down on the horse, you know, all these great moments that, that, that John Williams has scored. Certainly the Star Wars movies are full of them. For me, what gets me missing those movies is Lando and that other dude. I don't know what his name is. Lombard. I don't know his name, but when they blow up the thing at the, at the end of Return and they're like laughing and they're getting out. Oh, I, I, that always gets yeah. me going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that always gets me going. Yeah, but, um, killer. But, but I got to pick for John, for me, Superman the movie makes me cry. Is that number two for you, Moose? <laughs> oh, my God. He's, he's flashing me the number two. When when they're talking and she's like, um, you know, he'll, he'll be weak. And he's like, well, he'll, he'll be alone. He's, he'll be strong. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. You know, you, you as especially as a, as a – it's even worse when you're – it's just tough to watch them send their baby off. And it always makes me cry. But after the Fortress of Solitude, just his mom in the field there, do you know where you're headed? north i mean i just can't i can't i just can't <laughs> but when he gets to the fortress of solitude throws the emerald weird krypton whatever the hell that thing is all that shit but after he gets his lesson from his dad and the camera there's that weird like brando mask and it, the camera kind of turns around and you hear dun, 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 and he flies towards the screen i am a puddle of tears yeah, it's a special movie. I'll, I'll never forget going to see it at the Egyptian. And I'd seen it, seen it a thousand times as a kid on TV, but I'd never seen it on the big screen. And they restored it for a DVD release, and I went to see it at the Egyptian. And just during the opening credits, I was like, oh, 
God, this is powerful. This is like really getting to me. But I'll, one of the big moments that I'll never forget was when uh, Lois Lane's interviewing Superman and asked him what he stands for. He said, well, basically, Lois, I stand for truth, justice, and the American way. And I think the most patriotic moment I've ever experienced in a crowd was when he said that with so much sincerity that the only way that he can do, the entire audience erupted. Like in L.A., you think, oh, well, L.A. is cynical and people hate America and blah, blah, blah. Not on that particular day. On that particular day when Superman said truth, justice, and the American way, it was like, oh, God, like the whole place just came at the same time. They went fucking crazy. I was like, wow, that's that was a really euphoric, emotional moment for, for, for all of us. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a magical I movie. Never, I that's never beautiful. lie, Lois. Yeah, I never, I ne- Lois, I never lie. Yeah. Uh, she's like, <laughs> she's like, you shouldn't smoke, whatever. She's like, I had a lung cancer, right? He's like, not yet, thank you. Not yet. Yeah, it's incredible that the way he tackled the character, the way he tackled his integrity and his just his, his honesty and the way he presents himself. I don't know if he's ever been done better before or since on the page or on the screen or in a video game. It's when I, when I hear Superman's voice in my mind, when like the soul of Superman is embodied in that film. It's beautiful. Donna did a great job. I have a great, and you talk about Chris Reeves' performance. What a stud. I have a Superman scrapbook. I saw that movie when I was 12 years old and Superman was my favorite character. I used to dress up like Superman. Uh, and so just as a person, like I wear a Superman t-shirt with a red jacket. with Superman Superman's belt. capes on Moose's wall, right over his left shoulder. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought I was Superman. And, and um, um, that I have this People magazine cover. It says, uh, Superman soars or something like that. And then it says, and it's the, it's Chris Reeve in the Cape because, because Newman was too old, Stallone too Italian and Eastwood too expensive. <laughs> and none of them, something to say. none of them would have been a good fit board. for Superman. Like I, I love all those no, guys, but yeah, but it, it, just, you would never have a head like that. Stallone too Italian. You wouldn't have that headline today. It's so stupid, but it was fun. Oh, I never lie, Lois. It's one of the things where there are plenty of movie roles out there where you can kind of play what if with other actors, but they got that casting so right that I can't even begin to conceive of any, anyone else playing it. And it's one of the things that I think, I mean, I'm a huge Henry Cavill fan, love him in the Witcher and things like that. And I'm rooting for him hard always as Superman. It seems like he's coming back and I think he's all in. I think he's perhaps been underserved by some of the material he's been given for whatever reason, in terms of the tone and the approach to the character, Superman, the movie, it like, like the poster said, you'll believe a man can fly. They just nailed it. It's it's crazy, and I, I I'll, I'll stop on Superman the movie, but I will say that the the magic thing about that movie is the shifts in tone. It goes from like a kind of seventies sexy kind of love story to like a little bit of slapstick to like this sci-fi opus. Oh, yeah, Gene Hackman and Ned Beatty, funny as fuck. They're great together. Yeah, but and the movie's all over the place tonally, but it works. Yeah. Don't take Mister Luther. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, well, so, uh, Moose, it sounds like Superman might be on your list as well. Is, is Superman in, in your top three, just a little, as a little spoiler? It's number two? Gotcha. Number two. I like it. Uh, so, so, so oh, so luckily, over, over Bill's left shoulder, the, the dog's like, what are y'all talking about? Like, I, I want to get in on the action. This dog is the most annoying friggin' hound of all time. Yet another reason why we need to do this on YouTube so people can uh, see the puppy dog. I mean, if you want to have a YouTube channel explode in popularity, just show dogs and kittens and puppies and, and babies. Like, all that's all that's needed, and you'll get millions of subscribers. But if you can do videos of, like, Labrador puppies kissing babies and the pa- babies giggling, boom. Your, your future is secure. Well, Moose, 
Anything else about so, Superman, or are we going to save it for number two? Because it's no, no. I'll save it because you didn't mention a couple things that okay, uh, beautiful get Excellent. me. So number three for me is the movie Three Hundred. So yeah, Zack Snyder. I mean, why we're on the subject oh, of Henry Cavill and Superman? My man. Yeah, Zack my Snyder. Man. I get beat up a lot for, for loving him. What is it that I love about 300? It's uh, what makes me misty. Again, it's like what I said earlier. The warriors in that movie, the 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 camaraderie, the uh, the family that they are, that the Spartans are. Uh, how close they are that really gets me and there's scenes in that movie that just again it makes me just swell and i can't help but get all goosebumpy goosebumpy but uh i i my 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 wife was like really does that movie get you and i was like hold on a second and i pulled up some clips on youtube and uh oh, what was it it was uh what's your profession where he's talking to the Acadians or whatever they came down and they, and he's like, we, we've got more men than you. And he says, Oh really? Or we've got more soldiers than you. And we've got more really? fighters than like, you. Yeah. And he's, yeah, like, yeah. he's, he's a like, blacksmith. He's like a green grocer. I'm he's a, a potter. Black- <laughs> I'm a sculptor. You, I'm a blacksmith. Ah, that's good. Uh, Spartans, what is your profession? It's like it looks like I brought more soldiers than you. Yeah, and that's a great scene, without a doubt. Yeah, I saw it maybe a couple times in theater, uh, a couple times on DVD. After, for whatever reason, people love to bash Zack Snyder. I don't quite get why, and it's become a weird thing now where it's like, oh, if you want to see the Snyder cut of Justice League, that makes you like alt right. I'm like, no, it just means you like watching fucking like badass action scenes delivered with like bravado and intensity. Like Zack Snyder, I always maintain. He's such a great visual stylist, and he, he, he does what he does yeah, yeah. really, really well. Unfortunately, periodically, he's been married to screenwriters that I think are beneath him. And I think all mm. the problems that I might have with Batman versus Superman, they don't come from Zack Snyder's depiction of the characters. Because I think the battle scenes in that are as badass as any we're going to ever see in the superhero genre. It's that he doesn't necessarily care that much that his screenplays don't make a lot of sense and it's like dude just fucking <laughs> simplify it or find no, some other screeners no. but stop working with these people 
And I feel like if you were to marry his visuals and his aesthetic and his sensibility to stronger material, you would get some of the coolest fucking movies ever made. And I think, I think 300 for me is his most complete kind of unified, like satisfying yeah, experience. Yeah. But I did come around on Watchmen finally. It took me a long time, and I finally watched the um, the like the the absolute extended edition or whatever before my rated R superhero uh, um, live stream with Martin Kessler, and it really won me over. So yeah, I I am a fan of Snyder. I wouldn't say I'm his biggest fan because I think like Adam I think Adam Rakoff might be the biggest Zack Snyder fan that I know. But he's definitely got his defenders. But this I I despise this tendency of lumping his fans in with certain ideologies. It's like no, all of y'all can burn in hell because if someone wants to like something, just let them like it and stay out of their business. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of his, and I am not moved by 300 at all. Like my brother Moose is, I like the movie. And what I most admire about the movie, and I love the movie. I just don't get moved by it. Like, I'm, like I don't get misty, but I love the movie. And what I most love about it, I love movies that are true to their philosophy. And that movie is very true to its own philosophy. And true to the, the graphic sense- novel by Frank Miller. Oh, very true. And it's a brutal, brutal, brutal movie. Like the fact that he does take mercy on that on that child and doesn't end him, then that's the guy that's his, his undoing. That's such a brutal way to like approach something. And yet it's very true to itself. And I don't care what the movie is, whether it's whether it's um, what women want from Nancy Meyer or whether it's I mean, it can be any extreme. But if the movie's true to its characters, I love that. And that's one thing that I really admire about 300. It's the only thing it didn't do faithfully to the graphic novel is that in the graphic novel, Frank Miller goes all in on uh, the Spartan attire and the men fight buck ass nude. They had their cape. They have their shield and they have their spear and their sword, but the ding-a-ling is all over the place. And I don't know if that's true to history or not, but that's how Frank Miller depicted the characters. They all were just running around buck-ass nude. I'm like, all right, that's 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 one way one way to approach the oh, story. That's an approach. <laughs> that's an approach. I did not know that. I've not read the graphic novel. Oh, it's a big uh, uh, book. It's great. But I wanted to say this about Zach. You know, the other day I was so excited that he's going to get his cutout of, of Batman versus Superman. Because no, of uh, Justice League. Of Justice League, um, it, it, whether I was under, I, I, you know, like 300, but whether I was underwhelmed by Sucker Punch or whether I was underwhelmed by certain movies or whatever, the way that people took ownership of Justice League, here the guy was laying these, and I know Batman versus Superman, okay, there's certain things that didn't work for me as a Batman fanatic and freak, that's my favorite Batman. Just for me, Bill Tech, that was my Batman. That was close to the Neil Adams Batman that I like. I know it doesn't seem that way, but for me, that's how it spoke to me. And I loved um, some of the things that he was teasing, that he, some of the stuff that he was laying the groundwork for, and he never got to pay that off. And the fact that the studio took it from him at a time when and, – and, and used like a personal tragedy to, to take the movie from him and recut it and reshoot it, I thought, well, that's <clears throat> fucked up. And it's weird when movie fans are not rooting for a director's cut. Like h- how can you root against somebody showing you – their cut that they were kind of foreshadowing and laying all these seats for. Don't you want to see that? Like, how's that political? Well, I heard, I was watching a great video on it recently where they're showing how with Zack Snyder, he had a, a vision for the DC universe and people can opt in or opt out, but he never got a chance to really play it up because halfway through Batman v Superman, 
the studio is already intruding and demanding changes that may or may not have had an impact on the movie underperforming. And it's one of those things where he got punished for his stuff underperforming when he was trying to be a studio player and give them what they want. And to have these, I mean, it was when Jeff Johns and I think Peter, I can't remember what his partner in crime was. But anyway, when they took over the DC Universe and they got rid of him and brought in Joss Whedon, it was... It blew, it, had, it cost so much more money to make. It made the movie way more risky. They would have been better off just sticking with the original vision. And if they want to pivot or do a um, a course correction, wait until after the movie. But don't do a course correction in the middle of a movie that that much is on the line. I just feel like the best stuff in there, like that big battle scene where Steppenwolf is like fighting against like the Green Lanterns and the Atlanteans and the Amazonians. That's all Zack Snyder stuff. So I've got high hopes for the Snyder cut of Justice League. You know, I hope that Batman doesn't die. That's for sure. I'm a Batman fan and freak and 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 uh, i'd rather they put batman symbol on my grave than my own name but but <laughs> i don't want him to die but i will um, gladly graffiti it on there and like like like, like the joker had visited because you know if batman dies before the joker the joker would probably do him that uh, do him that honor by popping by and uh you know putting the symbol on there because the joker is just so in love with him and this is all exciting because now david ayer is talking about hey my cut of suicide squad is very dark and like much like Joker. So yeah. to me, uh, any a director trying to get his cut out, how do you politicize that? Thing? Are you crazy? Like nobody knows what Zach's. And even the is. more annoying thing is when they say like you're rewarding the most toxic ingredients of fandom by rewarding them with the version of the movie they want to see. I'm like, all right, this is the entertainment business. There are fans out there. You can dislike their fans or you can dislike their taste, but this is the show business. And you're moving product, and there's a giant audience out there screaming for a certain type of filmmaking. Guess what? That audience should be served just like the other audiences should be served. Like, I love that's one of the best graphic novels. Moose is holding a Batman Son of the Demon, <laughs> which is so goddamn good. It's when uh, he and uh, Talia al Ghul do the nasty. But uh, yeah, I got that when I was like 15, and it's one of the best Batman <laughs> stories I've ever read. But I don't want to get, we can do another. Maybe yes, when, you're right. When, you're right. When the, when the Snyder Cut does come out, we'll, we'll team mail up with Adam Rakoff and y'all can, y'all can go berserk. About, you know, uh, about with with three hundred, I had that scene. But you know, there's a the earlier scene when uh, the uh, messenger is there to uh, come to uh, where Leonidas is, and says, "Hey, you need to join with us or else." Uh, pretty much, and uh, the messenger <laughs> says, ah. <laughs> "Think, think." think well of your next words because they may be your last and then this is where the music and the camera work and the character the where the actor too uh gerard butler freaking incredible in that movie where he starts looking around he sees his wife and then he's looking around at the faces of the rest of the people you know his, his people and then he's looking out of the fields of his land and then he looks back to his wife and she sort of gives a nod, and then he pulls his sword. And this is madness. This is insane. This is Sparta. And he does that and kicks him off into the. Oh, see, there goes the chills on my forehead. Yeah, it's a wild it's scene. Also, I also love the scene when the wife. That's a great scene. And when the wife is like, this is who I am, and she kills that dude, that's a great scene. Yeah, she's <laughs> the, the, the Lena Headley, or how, how do you pronounce that actress's name? Yeah. Cersei from uh, Game of Thrones. But she's incredible in it. There's so much about that movie that works well. And you have all these great iconic shots that are ripped right from the page 
of it's Frank so Miller's beautiful. coffee table book where you can tell Zack Snyder, like, all right, well, this is a beautiful coffee table book with incredible imagery. We're going to insert as many of these shots into the movie as humanly possible. And I was blown away by his ability, his fidelity to the source material. One one more thing. Let's lay it, lay it on us. For, for 300 is when, when the captain looks up and sees his son out there. What's his name? Astalus? Or no, that's not, that's not right. Antalus or whatever. And he's like, my son! And then behind him, in slow motion, comes this rider, cleaves his head off. And then it's a mixture of the 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 wild abandon that the captain goes through and this bloodlust that he goes through to get to his son, just to go through the, the people. But you hear the narrator guy uh, talking overhead, and it's it's like... Uh, the captain broke ranks, uh, and 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 I can't even I can't even say all the stuff that he said because it, it just sounds so good and it's and so awesome. They they pulled him off uh, his son's body and he's screaming, and they're like the the screams of the captain were more terrifying uh, to the enemy than anything else we could do, and it's just an amazing shot and it it gets me. Uh, Moose, do you come from a military uh, family? Yeah, my uh, I was born on uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and uh, North Kakalaki. I lived in North, North Carolina Kakalaki. for many, many years. I moved there when I was nine, and I also went to business school there when I was twenty-nine. I know, I I, I know that about you, and I was going to mention that at some point in time. Here it goes. Yeah, I spent more but, time uh, in Virginia, but my accent's North Carolinian. Like when people in Virginia don't talk the way I do, I I picked up my accent as a as a kid in North Carolina. I don't know what my accent is. Uh, I'm from places. I got a southern joke for you guys. Good buddy of mine from a good buddy of mine from uh, from Atlanta told me this joke. Do you know why the toothbrush was invented <laughs> in uh, in Alabama, not Atlanta? Pourquoi? He said because if it was invented in Atlanta, it would have been the teeth brush. Uh, yeah, people in the South yeah. love making fun of each other for their lack of teeth. My grandfather, his favorite joke was always, what do you get with 32 women from West Virginia? I'm like, huh? And he's like, a full set of teeth. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And I, I, I'm not a guy that can really fuck with people's teeth. I got some, I got some, I got some issues. Yeah, my, my teeth I'm are uh, starting to turn into a sideshow freak show or side, w w at a loss for words. My, my teeth are a fucking mess. <laughs> at some point, I was going to knock them all out and get some artificial ones. But Mr. Tech, <clears throat> down to the, uh, to the deuce, the top two. What do you got? Well, at number two, this, there's no score here. And uh, it's a movie uh, directed by a guy named Martin Davidson. Who the fuck is Martin Davidson, Billy T? Martin Davidson is probably best known movie. I know, and Moose is nodding like I know who, exactly who that is. His I best known movie is Eddie, is, is, is Eddie and the Cruisers. Oh, see gotcha. Okay, but this is not Eddie and the Cruisers. He's got another movie named Almost Summer. He's got another movie, which is pretty well known, which stars Sylvester Stallone and Henry Winkler and Perry King called The Lords of Flatbush. Gotcha. Which he co-directed with someone. I don't remember the gentleman's name, and I'm embarrassed. I'll say it before the end of the podcast. I'll Google it. But um, Martin Davidson uh, is a kind of, you know, I don't want to say journeyman because to me his movies all have heart. But he was just a guy that didn't, for whatever reason, you have your Jeremy Paul Kagans or your Martin Davidsons or guys that like made great movies. But for some reason, we don't talk about them as auteurs. And this guy, Martin Davidson, made this movie called Hero at Large, starring John Ritter. 
Have you also ever seen this movie? I've not. Ripper, yeah. It's really cool. And the, the People Magazine review said, this is a great movie about heroism. And it's as much fun as Superman at a fraction of the cost. And it really is as much fun as Superman. Um, if you love superheroes, if you love Marvel, if you love DC, if you love superhero comic books and culture and movies, you will love Hero at Large. And it's basically about... Oh, I'm going to get choked up. (laughs) The review said it captures Capra in a modern frame, and it is truly the most Capra-esque movie, the most um, optimistic movie about the human spirit uh, that you can see. And what happens is John Ritter plays an out-of-work actor, uh, and they hire all these actors to go to the movie theater for the big Captain Avenger movie this made of superhero, and they're going to act like they're Captain Avenger, and they're signing some autographs in the lobby and go home. And he's wearing his superhero costume and he stops into a store, you know, to get some milk. And there's a robbery and he stops the robbery and everybody's like, yo, there's a real Captain Avenger. And then it's just the guy trying to, like, do the right thing and stop. They were going to cut the old man that runs the store, you know. And all of a sudden, the city of New York rallies around this kind of vigilante hero. It's a super cool movie. And eventually he's co-opted. He's, he's, he's bought out by a, a politician. He needs money. And they, it's kind of like a face in the crowd, like the best Capra-esque morality place. And he's co-opted by this politician who's running for mayor of New York and Captain Avengers for this mayor. And, oh, man, it gets out that he was on the payroll. And all of a sudden New York, which was really ha- happy to have like a real-life hero, is heartbroken. And at the end of the movie, forgive me, my voice is cracking. He does something really heroic. And does he meet his demise? No spoilers here. But other New Yorkers, seeing what he's done, rally around him and come to his defense. And it's so moving and so beautiful. And so it's Hero at Large, starring John Ritter, Ann Archer, Burt Convy, directed by the great and underrated Martin Davidson. Well, I don't even know how to respond because at first I haven't seen it, but also I don't want to spoil the genuine emotion that you just uh, that you just displayed. Moose, do you have anything? Uh, do you, have you have you seen this film? I have seen the movie. I was asking at the time whether it was uh, I had seen it on TV. I think I saw it on HBO in the uh, very early '80s, and uh, I, I did like it. I, I certainly remember it, but I haven't seen it since then, and. Uh, I was certainly a kid when I saw it, so I, 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 I'd probably benefit from watching that again. Moose, you're a younger, you're younger man than I am, correct, Moose? By two years. Okay, yeah. So gotcha. it's pretty. T- I mean, when I said I was probably twelve or thirteen, and it really, I love superheroes, anything dealing with heroism or anything like that. So for me, it was really. It's funny, you mentioned John Ritter earlier, and it reminded me of something that came up in the last episode, which I haven't posted yet, which is about the films of Andy Sidaris, but we were talking about some of these very macho, athletic girls that are in his movies, including bodybuilder Ray Hollett, and she is a scene with John Ritter in this movie called uh, Skin, Skin Deep, Deep from Skin 1989, Deep. and it's a wild <laughs> scene where she's a very muscular girl, but very, very beautiful. That's from American... Yeah. Zap from American Gladiators. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. when she hops into bed with him and he's like, he's petrified. But he's like, oh, but my, 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 my cock is scared <laughs> stiff. She's like, oh, that's delightful. <laughs> but anyway, just when you thought, when you mentioned John Ritter, it reminded me of Skin Deep. She says, how do you feel? And he says, like Mrs. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a great, great uh, uh, scene without a doubt. McDonald's told me that Peter Sell, uh, uh, that um, uh, Blake Edwards called him when he was casting Skin Deep and said, do I use John? And he's like, John's. 
fucking hysterical. Yeah, no, he's one of the funniest guys. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up watching him on Three's Company as a kid, but obviously, that, all you need to know about him is in They All Laughed. He's uh, he's a, a marvelous actor. You know, I feel like he should have had Jim Carrey's career in the sense that he does physical comedy better than, and you don't feel embarrassed when he does physical comedy. Some guys do physical comedy and you kind of cringe, like oh, but John does it like Buster Keaton. He's great. Um, and in this movie, there's not much physical comedy. He's just a romantic lead, and he's so good and so sweet, and he has this kind of like Midwest quality. And, and you're a New Yorker, a transplanted New Yorker, as his character is. You will love. And you love superheroes and culture. You will love Hero at Large. It's begging for a remake. Very cool. Uh, Excellent. Or just begging, to be, begging to be rediscovered. You never know. I mean, sometimes I feel like sometimes just people need to give a movie a try for the first time instead of remaking it. That's a great point. It's a beautiful film. Well, Mr. Moose... Number two, don't make us wait any I longer. Was, I was, <laughs> I was looking we, up. Yeah, we alluded uh, to it earlier. It is. The, we know with Superman, but there's something we had not. There's a stone that we had not yet looked under. Oh, I was going to say I was looking up skin deep because uh, there was a person by the name of Anja Longer that I thought was in that movie that was like this, this big bodybuilder. But I think it's I think it's Zap, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is it's Zap. Yeah, yeah, Ray Hollett. Okay. Yes, my favorite American Gladiator, just for the record, in case because people might be keeping score at home, would be uh, Gina Carano as Crush. Oh, very nice, Gina Carano, <laughs> such a badass, huge. Fan. There was there was one that had a uh, uh, trouble hearing. She had a hearing aid in. Do you remember her? I do not. One of the American Gladiators. She was uh, blonde, ooh, ooh, full of all kinds of. Ooh, I, I don't even know how to say it. Uh, a a to... woman worthy of Moose's affections. Exactly. We had we had this uh, lady that used to come to uh, where I work, and it's funny in her face she looked a little bit like Kirsten Dunst, but she was taller than me. I'm uh, I'm six eleven, and I'm just kidding, <laughs> six foot, and she was like uh, six one, maybe six two, uh, and uh, she just seemed like an Amazon queen to me, and I, like I was like, I must have her. And Could my I get... wife is like, no, you can't have her. I know! Oh, whatever. So, uh, yeah, back to uh, number two. Superman. Say, Jim! Woo! Excuse me. That's a bad outfit! <laughs> Easy, miss. I've got you. You, you've got me. Who's got you? <laughs> oh, I, I can't believe it. I just, I just cannot believe it. He got her.
Man needs help. Well, I certainly hope this little incident hasn't put you off flying, miss. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. I was like, I had it at a different number earlier, and then I was like, no, 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 no. This one might make me a little missy in scenes, but Superman, Superman means more to me and makes me more misty. Look, not only do I have the one back there on the wall, I've got this little one that my dog wears. Aww. <laughs> well, he, he's holding up a little Superman cape. For As you all. said that, Bill's dog is looking right into the camera over Bill's shoulder. He's like, oh, we're talking about dogs again? Like, he's, he's, ready, he's ready to get in on the episode. <laughs> And I have I have three dogs and one of them's all white and I'll put that on him on her sometimes to run around the yard. Crypto baby, <laughs> yeah, yeah, crypto is great. Oh, crypto the super dog. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh Superman, Superman. I uh, what what can I say about Superman? Uh, again, I think this is one of those ones where it's I'm incredibly nostalgic for it. I saw it in the theater when it came out and. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing half the time because I was like, he's flying! He's flying! I believed that he could fly. That scene you were talking about when Marlon Brando's crystalline face breaks away and Christopher Reeve is standing there in the outfit and the music swells and he doesn't jump or fall at all. He just floats right off of where he's standing towards the camera and then swings by. It's amazing. But... Uh, what is it? What is it? There's a, there's a couple scenes in that movie. The entire thing. I need to see that. My buddy Tyler in, in town owns the Howell Theater, and he played Superman the movie one time, and I couldn't get out of work. And that absolutely killed me. To be able to see that original Superman the movie in the theater would have just... I would just... Uh, I should have had a camera up. Oh, no, then my phone would be out. Because then I'd be like... Oh. <laughs> I think what really gets to me every time is after Soups has saved Lois during that fantastic helicopter scene and after he's taken off, suddenly we get this great montage of him flying around the city doing one good deed (laughs) after another. And he's just so – Christopher Reed made it so effortless and so cool the way he would just kind of hover and fly. He made flying – seem as effortless as breathing and the way he's kind of like rotating and floating and the lighting i think it's jeffrey unsworth who's the director of photography on the film and you're Mm. getting all this incredible imagery of the city behind him and the music starts to swell it's some of the best flying footage ever conceived in any movie ever and yeah it's like there are some hokey moments like early on we see clark kent like running alongside the train it's like ooh, maybe i could have done another pass on that scene (laughs) but the flying scene after he saves lois is a really special moment and i think it's one of the high watermarks in superhero cinema Oh my God! When she's like, "You've got me," who's got you? Or when the <laughs> when the helicopter starts, he catches her. Everybody goes crazy, and the helicopter comes down. He catches the helicopter, and the music just soars. I I am not an aficionado of Danny Elfman. You won't hear him me mention him. You won't hear Moose mention him. I'm certain of this, because his scores they're not rousing. They're not triumphant. They're dour. And unfortunately, I don't know the superhero movies have ever recovered from the dour, 
you know, everybody that watched Batman in the 80s, you know, Bat- Tim Burton's Batman. I watched that movie. It didn't do anything for me as a Batman fan. And um, <laughs> uh, and I think that that idea that things should be kind of dark and ominous and gothic really stuck with superhero movies. Mm. And I don't I doesn't work for me. I want something. Well, there's some optimistic and moments in the MCU, like when Thor and Rocket and Groot arrive at the battle in Wakanda when Thanos's army is invading. And you see Bruce Banner like in the Hulkbuster armor go, oh, my God, you guys are so screwed. And <laughs> Thor leaps up and goes, bring me Thanos and comes down, like cracks down with this big ass axe and sends lightning everywhere. I mean, the theater, I, I tend to hate most theater going experiences because of my fellow human beings. But it was great to be in a theater that night. Everybody's like, oh, my God. God, like people went completely <laughs> berserk. So that was some great optimistic filmmaking there. Nothing, nothing better than that. I love the MCU. I'm all in. Whether it's John Favreau or James Gunn, or you know, I love, I love Peyton Reed. I mean, I love these films. I love them, and they work for me. And they're just, I love them. I, I just wish the scores were a little bit more. Yeah, know, Marvel. I love the Avengers theme that was cooked up in the first 2012 movie. And when you hear it in Endgame, when you've got like a thousand yeah. Avengers mm. and all these armies. That's a pretty stirring, exciting yeah. scene, and like I love when you see people doing bits where they like, recreate the scene, like by their pool, like in reverse jumping out. Like everybody's <laughs> always recreating the scene. It, it, it's fucking fabulous. So I feel like for people who are like seventeen, eighteen now, like I watched it. La- when I think it was late last summer. I watched it with my little brother and a couple of his friends, and they were all rising seniors. And I could tell that for them, like this, like the peak of this Avengers saga was a major cultural touchstone for them. And like these kids, they never read comics. They gave zero fucks about superheroes. They were just enjoying it as an epic movie going experience. And I never forget when Thor summons in his hammer and his axe and is like brings down the lightning as about to face Thanos. And this one guy who's like a total like bro, like football player, is like, man, I just fucking love Thor. Like he was just so like (laughs) invested in the film, so immersed in it. And I could tell it was having a ma- massive emotional impact on him. So, yeah, the MCU definitely touched something special. And it's, it's why the, that movie grossed over $2 billion. That's beautiful. I've wept in like a baby watching that uh, Avengers Endgame. Those movies work for me <laughs> all the time. Absolutely. Those are, those are really good movies to see with an audience. Yeah, when Tony was dying at the end of Endgame, this girl beside me, she, was just, she just kept saying, I, I just can't even. I, I just can't even. She was shaking her head in protest. With, with Tony Stark dies, I feel like crying right now. Like, that's so good. And we stayed with him on that journey. And just the way that Favreau did it and the fact that he keeps acting in those movies, like even Spider-Man Far From Home, the fact that he's so fucking cool, even that chokes me up. I'll never forget there's a an Avengers Infinity War when Tony and Thanos are fighting. And at one point, Thanos impales Tony. And this girl behind me let out a shriek like she had been stabbed. She went, no! Just, it, it was like someone had torn her fucking heart out. I was like, oh, my God. Like, is this girl okay? But she was so emotionally invested in the story. And so people love to talk shit about the superhero genre. But the reality is when it comes to big, like, epic theater experiences, those Avengers movies have given people something in the last 10 years that a lot of other movies haven't. So I, I, I think you cannot underestimate that, that power. No, you really can't. There's things that tap into some kind of special magic, whether it's Muhammad Ali or Elvis Presley or the Marvel Universe. There are things that move people, and those are some of those things. And I, I'm There's not— got a lot. 
They've got a lot of things in those movies. And that whole series of films, there's so many things that'll move you. Especially in it's this crazy. fucked up world where things black is white and white is black and everything's upside down. There's very clear lines. Oh, those are the good guys. You know, that's really cool. Yeah, people love tales of high adventure. But I guess now's as good a time as any to talk about Bill Tech's number oh. one choice for the manly movies that make men misty. Did you do number two, Moose? We didn't finish my two. Oh, Superman. I'm sorry, sorry. I thought, we, sorry. I got, I got, we went off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. Got more so, so bring bring two into a, for, for a safe landing. What, what are your All final right, thoughts then, on then Super I'll just, I'll just jump on my – well, okay. Uh, first, uh, Christopher Reeve. How incredible is it that Christopher Reeve is able to play Clark Kent and then uh, believably take the glasses off and become Superman and you're like, oh – you see the change when he's in the room with Lois later on when he's dressed as Clark and he's thinking about uh, telling him, telling her that uh, he's Superman. He takes he takes the glasses off and he's like, Lois, I got something to tell you. And then she comes out and he drops his posture down. He puts his glasses on, pushes them up. And he's like, oh, Lois, whoa, whoa. and he just visibly changes from Superman to Clark Kent. And it's that old thing where people are like, oh, you all he's got to do is all she got to do is look past the glasses. It's freaking Superman, but Christopher Reeve makes you believe that he's Clark Kent. Absolutely, no, it's it's a marvelous bit of acting, and uh, when that's the thing when you're casting superheroes with a secret identity, you're casting an actor to play two parts. You're playing you can they have to be able to play Clark and Superman both convincingly. Or what I love, someone was describing once better, even better than I could. When they're talking about Batman Begins when they cast Christian Bale as Batman. You're casting him as Batman, you're casting him as Bruce Wayne, but you're also casting him as the Bruce Wayne that he presents to the public because he's the Bruce Wayne mm. that he is with Alfred and with Lucius Fox, which is the real Bruce Wayne. But the Bruce Wayne the world knows is like the Patrick Bateman, like spoiled rich kid. So if you're <laughs> going to play Batman well, you have to be able to play three different versions of that character. That's really yeah. well put. That's really well put. And, and, and Chris, you know, Chris Reeve, in the interview scene, where Lois is giving that interview at, with, uh, doing that interview with him at her apartment. That's one take where he flies off, says goodnight, flies off as Superman, yeah, <laughs> turns yeah. into, into the, 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 the Clark Kent out, uh, uh, costume and comes and knocks on her door. That's one Amazing. take. It never, it never cuts. It's so, the okay. guy's a masterful actor, and the way he uses his body, like you mentioned, dropping his posture and 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 changing his voice, it's like Lon Chaney, and that, those things are lost in the CGI world. I remember watching Gary Sinise and Forrest Gump, and thinking this guy's a great actor. You don't have to take his legs, but with CGI, just climb behind his back like they used to do with Lon Chaney, <laughs> and that's what Christopher Reeve does in Superman. He's just acting phenomenally. Yeah, yeah. Now we've also got. We've got. Uh, why do I keep saying John Ford? Glenn, Glenn, the plays. Uh, you know Kent. He's a great. He's a great Pa Kent. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's a huge star with like Big Heat, like twenty five years earlier. But he's a perfectly cast as Pa Kent. It's amazing when you first see him. You know, they're in the car or they're in the truck, and the spaceship comes down, and then you know his tires out, so he's working, and they're like, "Oh, we can keep him. We can keep the baby," and then. The truck falls off the the jack, and then, <laughs> then they see that the the truck rises up, and they both look over, and they see uh, this little three four the four year old baby kid holding up this truck, smiling at them, and the way they look at him, and then look at each other, and then they turn around and look back at the ship, 
where he's from. That that gets me. Well, you see what's been missing in their lives. They never had children. How does Donner communicate this with these two amazing actors? It's um, it's Glenn Ford, and and she played Lois, right? She played Lois on the on the. Is that? Um, no, no, no. She was the old... on, actually the person who played Lois was on the train when he was running by. Ah, okay. So that's Kirk Allian who played Superman when they run by mm. back in the old days. And what's the amazing actress that plays Ma Kent? I don't know. Uh, we gotta look that up. It's Diane Lane in the new ones, but uh, I-, I can't remember the name of the actress in the original. Wow, Diane Lane is Superman's mom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, in these new Superman movies, Superman might get a little Oedipus complex with uh, a mom as hot as she is. But yeah, Diane Lane, Man, she's Diane one Lane of my all time favorite crushes. That's Martha? That's Martha? Yeah. Save Martha. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that oh, could have been uh, Martha. Phyllis, Phyllis Thaxter. Okay, yeah, I'm unfamiliar with her as an actress. Well, I believe the IMDb picture is really young. Uh, I, I thought she played Lois uh, at some point, but the bottom line being, it's a very moving scene, and and so what's the big scene in Superman the movie that gets you? Now we got okay, the Donner right. cut, which relates yeah. to the Snyder we cut. We got right? two more. I don't even care about the the Donner cut. I I, I see Superman as I originally saw it. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched the theatrical cut as well because if you try to watch the Donner cuts and everything, it's like. Superman one and two end up having like the same fucking ending, and it's it's too complicated to go into right now. But if you want like the true Donner experience, it's sadly he just the project got taken away from him in spite of the incredible work mm. he was doing. And Richard Lester came in and finished it, and yeah. But just, also, you, Richard Lester's a great filmmaker too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Richard Lester. He's a he's a dynamite filmmaker. He made like Three Musketeers and Hard Day's Night and that sort of thing. Yeah. But it's a shame that Richard Donner, much like Zack Snyder, didn't get to fully realize his vision on both Superman right. one and two because he's introducing the villains in number two in the beginning of the first movie. Clearly, he had a long term vision for the for the character. I'm happier. True, true. But Superman two works great. I'm happier that it came out as it did. That's the way I saw it, and uh, that's the way I loved it. And then I saw the Donner cut afterwards, and it takes out something that really gets me. A lot of people would say, "Oh, you know, uh, the flat, the Lester cut is uh, is not um, it's not very, you know, it's it's very clearly not made by. This is a stupid thing to say in these crazy times, but it's not made by an American. It makes fun of the small town. It makes fun of all these things. I don't find that to be true at all. I love the Lester cut. And I saw with these two buddies of mine that were these total stoners. You got to remember what year that came out. So I'm like, or 81 right, or 80. I'm like 13, you know, getting high every day. These are my buddies. We're listening to Journey and REO and we're making rock and roll bands. And these guys were not movie people. They went to see that movie. Their minds were blown. They were standing up and screaming. It reminds me of when you you took your your was it your little brother to go see Superman versus Batman, and when Wonder Woman comes out, they go crazy, James. Oh yeah, my little brother Charles. When Batman v Superman, when Batman's about to get fried by Doomsday, and Wonder Woman drops into frame, and you see the the, the image clear after Doomsday's blast, and Wonder Woman sitting there with her like her bracers like, crossed on the screen, and that guitar <laughs> kicks in. Charles, who would have wow. been. How old? Maybe like 11 or so when that came out? Leapt to his feet, standing ovation. <laughs> was so excited. <laughs> I love that. I mean, he, just, he was so excited. I was like, all right, that's what movies are all about. That's what movies okay, are I'll, all I'll about. Give you, I'll give you these real quick, real quick. Uh, in Superman, when he meets back up with his dad, and his dad's like, you were meant for something, and it wasn't for touchdowns. And I don't know what, but... And then he starts to walk away, and he's like... Race me, Dad. Race me to the barn. And you see... Oh, my God. Goes down. 
Oh, I'm gonna cry right Glenn now. Glenn starts to do run. It. And he even stops. Do it. He grabs his arm and he's like, "Oh no!" And he looks <laughs> around and you see, you see his cheek just twitch. I, I can't even do it. I told Tina, my girlfriend, my, my girlfriend, thank you, my wife. But uh, my wife, she uh, she says, "Oh, you mean this?" And she did it. I was like, "Jesus Christ, I can't do that." Glenn Ford can do it, oh. but his cheek twitches and he looks over at Martha and then he looks over at the barn and then he drops. Uh, that whole scene is killer. I mean, uh, it just, it, it gets me. And then right after that, the next morning, well, after the, the funeral, and after Clark has found the green crystal, the next morning his mother comes out and she's in the kitchen and she looks out of the window and there there it goes, up on the, the hilltop, you know, past all the, the, the field of grain that's grown there, is Clark standing way out there, and then you can see the dog in the foreground just running all the way out to him. And it's maybe it's with me, I'm thinking it's the way things were shot back then. Maybe that they were on film, maybe it's that particular cinematographer. It just looks so beautiful. What part of the country did you grow up in, Moose? Like, at what age, you know, what where did you grow up when you were 12, 13? 12, 13, where it was like, I was back. In North Carolina, I was in Arizona before that, then back to North Carolina. So those kinds of vistas of America, you 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 knew what that looked like. <laughs> That's some stories from my dad. But I know we we would drive across country, you know, from uh, Arizona all the way over to Michigan, or then all the way over to North Carolina. So we'd spend like five six days driving across the country. So I did get to see, you know, some great scenery that way. Uh, you know, I'm a Miami boy. I didn't leave. Miami till I was in my late twenties. I mean, I, wow. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was landlocked, man. And, uh, I mean, I lived in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, but I didn't see America for a while. Um, but it, it spoke to that sense that you had of America from watching television, from watching films, you knew what this vast, amazing country looked like. And, uh, those shots of, of Ma Kent in the wheat fields, the way Donner shot it, it's iconic. It's Vintage beautiful. Vintage Americana, as they say. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. And the way Glenn Ford grabs his hand and falls over, it's <laughs> really beautiful, really yeah, moving. It's really yeah. sad. The last one, you get, you don't get this in the Donner cut. In the original, Lois dies. That's a spoiler, right? Lois dies, and he pulls the car out, and he... It's like the speed. Woo! He shoots over and grabs the door and rips it off and pulls her out. And she's so delicate and everything. And he puts her down. And the camera angle switches from right down there close to up higher to up higher until he's real small. And then it comes back to him. And he he's just like no 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 no. And then he and he's grimacing as he's looking up into the sky. And then he screams. And the camera is right above him as he's shooting up towards the camera up into the sky. And it's just amazing. Yeah, it's a that, great primal scream. I think, yes, I think that, that scene. But it makes you cry. Him gets you losing it. Yeah, it does. It does. Because he, he starts losing it. You never see him lose it. You see him get a little upset or anything. But that was it. That was like, no, uh, I have to do whatever I can to, to bring Lois back, break the law. Even though his father appears and says, don't do this. Yeah, don't do this. Hell with you, father. And he goes, and uh, that I, I, I like that ending better because you don't get that scream, you don't get him 
sitting there, uh, you know, going back and forth. No, 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 no. And you don't get that grimace where it's almost silent. He's not even saying anything yet. And he's just got this grimace before he screams. It's just fantastic. And it, it definitely gets me. Beautiful. Moving on. <laughs> Mo- moving on. Mr. Tech, number one, give it to us. Number one, let me set the scene. <laughs> Score is by Randy Newman. And some critic, I don't remember who said it, he said, I, I can't believe Randy Newman's serious with the score. He must be making fun of this kind of emotional score. Because there's no way Randy Newman, who was known as the Rock's great kind of ironic I, ironic person, I don't know what the word, ironist, I don't know. Um, but Randy did make ironic music that was somewhat removed and somewhat cool and somewhat dirty <sighs> and like uh, a little bit removed. But he didn't. And Barry Levinson's only Barry's second movie as a director. He'd only made Diner before. So The Natural comes on, and you're seeing this cinematography, which is so beautiful. Every baseball movie, every baseball commercial, every baseball promo looks like The Natural. But I remember seeing that opening night at the theater. Now, because I didn't have any friends and I was very lonely, and you guys know me, so you know how that's not hard to believe, I had to go to the movies alone. So I, w- I would wear a suit. <laughs> like I was, I think, 13, and I wore – maybe 14, and I would go on my bike, but I would wear a suit because that way I wouldn't look weird in my mind. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> when I ran into people, everybody out with friends, out on the date, whatever, sitting in the movie theater, they'd be like, yo, is this fool wearing a suit? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm wearing a suit. I don't know. I was like, yeah, I'm waiting for my date or whatever bullshit that I was saying. Bottom line, I go see Barry Levison's The Natural. I remember the, the – it might have been Variety. It might have been Newsweek. The quote, the pull quote in in the press ads was Rocky meets Star Wars. And the natural has all these kind of otherworldly elements, whether it was the lightning striking the tree where, like Pa Kent dies, Roy Hobbs' father dies under that tree. And then lightning strikes the tree and then Roy makes a bat out of it. It's real iconic and real beautiful. And uh, mythic. 
very mythic. And so the movie means the world to me. So for me, what gets me every time and this, the waterworks have no bounds is the last thing. Every time Roy hits the ball and does something crazy, it's it's amazing. That combination of the imagery and the music and the film. But specifically, the last time he's at bat, where you see that he's bleeding internally from the bullets that he took way back in the beginning of the movie. And Barbara Hershey shoots him. Sorry about the spoilers. And he hits that thing into the the lights, and the lights just burst. And and Randy Newman's, to me, very iconic score really takes flight. And it's, it's I don't want to do it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it's a special moment in sports movies where I went through a brief phase where I was really into baseball because of baseball cards, but that's a baseball's uh, fucking cool. Yeah, that, I mean, but that's an that's an iconic scene with without a doubt. And I, on HBO played Natural on a Loop back in the eighties. And Moose, what are your thoughts on this film? <clears throat> I've never seen it. Huh. Well, the good news is you've got a really cool moving movie. Uh, okay, so if I watch the fucking Yakuza with Robert Mitchum which is now my favorite actor. I know people love Robert Mitchum. You got to watch the fucking natural deal. I don't like uh, Robert Redford. I don't think he's a very good actor. No, I'm that's okay. <laughs> Are you serious? Cause that's okay. Look at both your eyes. Look at James. James was like, no, 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 oh, but he's not no, I just know that Bill really likes Robert Redford. So I'm just waiting to see his response. No, no, no. no. I, can I be honest? <laughs> I mean, let's get into this. Cause we can go mano a mano here. I, I think Robert Redford is a great movie star. Do I think he's a great actor? Mm, I don't know. He's pretty much always Robert Redford. But he's perfectly cast in this movie. And both of us as older cats trying to do something cool, I think we're going to get – you're going to get this movie, especially the way people treat his character, Roy Hobbs. Um, Nobody wants to give him a break. He's a little older, and it's pretty cool, especially watching it as an older guy. You're like, yo, this is cool. And it's also the sound design on the movie. It will bring a tear to your eye. Uh, when he first has his first at bat, and like, well, Hobbs doesn't like the call. Well, welcome to the majors, Mr. Hobbs. And whenever anything doesn't go my way, which is quite often, I always say, well, welcome to the majors, Mr. Hobbs. <clears throat> You'll dig it, man. You will totally well, dig uh, it. That, that movie, The Natural, shows up on a lot of lists when it comes to movies that make men cry. So I'm watching the Yakuza, so you have your homework, sir. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I concur. I mean, I'm not a giant uh, sports movie aficionado, but even my cold, dead heart responded very warmly and, and, and emotionally to The Natural. It's, it's, it's a special movie, without a doubt. Well, uh, I guess the moment of truth is now at hand. Moose, what is the manly movie that makes you misty I, I, the most? I couldn't make up my mind. I didn't pick one. No, um... <laughs> Uh, this this one I, I had it on another place in the list and then I was like you know what it, it it's nothing but this it's uh, 1979's The Black Stallion oh, wow. wow deep cuts I haven't watched The Black Stallion since I was like three or four on TV so my memories are dim <laughs> so you're going to have to uh, refresh those dormant memories if you want to believe in magic in beauty in friendship and freedom believe in the black stallion the biggest the blackest and the strongest the most beautiful horse that ever was francis ford coppola presents walter farley's timeless classic whose time has come the black stallion the story of a legendary horse who could only be tamed by a young boy's love together 
They survive a shipwreck. And the dangers of an island wilderness. You saved my life. They meet a forgotten man. He'll be moving, he'll be making that rhythm. You just go on with him, see? Who helps them bring a legend to life. I've seen a horse that defies the imagination, that runs like a demon possessed at speeds beyond belief. He could be the greatest sensation in racing history. The Black Stallion. An unforgettable adventure, a motion picture of extraordinary beauty, a story that will make your heart race, your spirit soar. But most of all, it will make you believe in the Black Stallion. So beautiful, James. It's so beautiful. It's so well, I remember I liked it, but I got mad because my mom kept making me watch Black Beauty, and I was always like, oh, "Which one's the one for boys, and which one's the one for girls?" And I'd get really mad because I always I saw the Black Beauty several times over, and I kept thinking like, "All right, well, how can they keep showing me this one? I want to see Black Stallion. That's the cool one." But Black Stallion is some crazy shit it, it, for it, a young man. It's amazing to me how good it is. Uh, I certainly never would have expected it. My buddy. Uh, had a horse, and uh, he was like, well, you gotta go see the Black Stallion. It's at the theater. I'm just a little kid. And my brother was going too, and he was going into the next theater to see Get Smart, the nude bomb. Oh, I saw that at the theater. It's great. <laughs> it was the same time. And I, I wanted to go see that, but I was going with my friend. He was like, oh, we gotta see Black Stallion. So we went in there, and oh my god, is it a beautiful movie. It's It's amazing. It's, Jimmy, uh, it's amazing. I'm looking at it's stills in IMDb right now, and then things are coming back, like the horse in the water and the way the boat sinks well, and that sort of thing. It, I'm know, getting it, some it, intense it, flashbacks. You know, it's shot by Caleb Deschanel. Caleb. Deschanel, yeah. yeah. And who's, who's Zoe Deschanel's dad? He shot oh, the right okay. stuff, and he's a master DP. It's directed, I think, by Carol Ballard. I'm not trying to steal Moose's Thunder here, who did Never Cry Wolf, and a couple of couple of produced it. it it's fucking gorgeous and it's kind of terrifying about like the loss of your father it's a heavy movie but it's gorgeous yeah and and you know what in that movie it doesn't even give you time very very much time at all to worry about the loss of the father because right away you're on the island and you're worrying about his survival so it's just like boom but it's back there. It's a subcon. It's a more sophisticated movie than people give it credit for. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. fact that the boy is, is suddenly on his own, it's a heavy movie. I could. Oh, yeah. Choked up already, Moose. I'm Magic. That's a great <laughs> call. I think Moose Trump did man. He yeah, won. and um, what was it? Carol Ballard. Uh, I, I looked. I looked him up, and he had only directed like thirteen movies. Well, I mean, I was one like, of them, I think, is The Escape Artist, which I think he directed for Coppola Zoetro Pictures, you know, which was, um, meh, you know what I mean? But one of them is Never Cry Wolf, which is the well, shit. He had, yeah, he had yeah. like uh, 13 credits, but like the first three or four were short films, and this was like the full feature length. The first one he did for feature length was this movie, and I was like, wow. And uh, you're right, the, the cinematographer, Caleb Deschanel, what was it? Uh, um, 
was like, I don't know if he was nominated for six Oscars or he got six Oscars for other movies he was in, uh, other movies he did. But I, I have no doubt that he should have won because it's so beautifully shot as well. You know, the guy that directed it, you know, he was a camera operator, I think, on Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, he, he and he directed like Flyway Home and like. Yeah, she Chanel was on that one also. Remember Wind with Matthew Modine? Oh hell yeah, I saw that a couple times. Yeah, he directed that. <laughs> he's a very he's a visual stylist. But this guy also did like this movie Never Cry Wolf with Charles Martin Never Smith, Wolf. where he goes out and he, man, it's heavy. You know Charles Martin Smith from American Graffiti? He plays Toad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a great actor. Yeah. Absolutely. He's wonderful, and he's uh, this this movie was guys out there running with the wolves out in Alaska or wherever. He he understands the natural world. That's why Wind I think is so successful. That's a beautiful movie. He gets it. He's tapped into some kind of weird Terrence Malick magic cosmic shit. Well, I've got some magic cosmic shit I want to say as well. But Moose, any final words on Black Stallion (laughs) before I tell you my honorable mentions? Because I've got a handful that I want to give a few shout outs to. Well, I won't I won't uh, jump into all of the scenes that make me misty because then you just turn the movie on and it's misty all the way through. Um, Because, again, it's it's I think in all my movies, there's seen like themes of people bonding, whether it's. comrades bonding or uh, people on opposite sides bonding or in this case the boy with the horse they form this bond on this island and it's an incredibly beautiful thing and even the even the 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 kid he was only in three movies this was his first movie and Kelly Reno yeah there's just something about that boy when I'm looking at him it's almost like I, I don't think he even sees that there's cameras around or that he's acting in a movie he's just being himself he's just feels very natural to me, and it's just amazing to watch. Uh, uh, go ahead. No, you, sir. I was going to go right to the 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 finale of the movie. <laughs> that, Please do. That's what gets me. That's what gets me. He, they're they're at the uh, well, what was it? The, I don't want to say the Kentucky Derby, but they're at you know an event like that. And they're allowing him, the boy, to ride the black stallion. And there's, you know, only two other horses, just the three of them. And there's some trouble getting out of the gate. And uh, uh, the black stallion's got a cut on his leg. They, the, 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 the gates open. They all go off. The black stallion, you know, kind of uh, stumbles around, doesn't get going yet. So he's way behind. And then he catches. And he goes and he runs and he runs his heart out. It's it's amazing. There are times where he's on the whole backside of the, uh, the 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 course. Now, when the other horses, when you see the other horses on camera, you can hear the the crowd cheering and everything. And then the camera switches back to the other side. And oh, my battery's running low. How dare it? I better not better plug in my thing. But the 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 point is, he uh, there's like no sound. All you can hear is the horses. You know, breath and the the strumping of the strumping is that a word? Uh, stumping of the 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 horse hoofs, and and it's just you feel the power of this horse as it's going around, and it's slowly catching up and catching up, and everybody's cheering, and he eventually passes them. But as he's going, like the camera pans down, and you just see the shadow of the horse going, and it jumps back to when he was on the island, and it shows him on the island running uh, with the horse and and then he wins you know in the end and it just kills me 
I, I, I can't get through that, that, that whole ending without tearing up. Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap up the official contest between the top five. We'll leave it up to the listeners to decide who had the better list. But I do want to give a few honorable mentions. <laughs> I've got a couple that, I, that really get me. The final scene from The Roaring Twenties when James Cagney collapses down the stairs and the cop says, what is the name and occupation? Says, oh, he used to be a big shot and the music swells. That for me is like the peak of the classic gangster movie. And it is, it is totally a manly movie and it totally makes me misty. Who directed that? Um, that was Raul Walsh. Oh, my man. And Howard Hawks' Red River when John Wayne says, take him to Missouri, Matt. And then you have uh, Montgomery Cliff and all these guys going, woo like screaming and yelling the, all these incredible the close scene, right? Oh, it's so good. And then like the music kicks in as they all ride off and start the biggest cattle drive. Um, Paths of Glory, the ending with uh, his future wife singing the song to the room full of unruly soldiers who are all – thumping the, the table and screaming louder and before she finishes the end of her song everybody's just sobbing openly I think it's one of the finest things that Kubrick ever shot the ending of The Searchers when uh, John Wayne says to Natalie Wood let's go home Debbie and you've got that incredibly melancholy song as he's bringing her home and he's framed in the doorway and everybody else comes in but he's the perpetual outsider and he kind of does that Harry Carey gesture where he grabs his arm and turns his back and walks away and the door closes. It's one of the, one well, of the great movie endings. Evan can't go inside. He's done too much crazy shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, his name's Ethan. 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 Yeah. Ethan what? Uh, I think it's Ethan Hunt is the, the last name of the character. Fantastic <laughs> flick. At some point, I'll find a dance partner to talk about John Ford's westerns. Uh, but in terms of more contemporary stuff, the relationship between Rocky and Apollo and Rocky three and four – can't find manlier movies than those, but the the their friendship, the fact that they go from rivals to trainer and trainee and then best friends, that really got to me in a, in a big way as a kid. And then when really get really recent, um, the boats arriving in Dunkirk when they see that all the boats from have crossed the English Channel because there are four hundred thousand soldiers on the beach being attacked by the Nazis. And basically all these fishermen and like pleasure crew, pleasure yachts and whatnot have all come over to bring their army back to the UK. That really uh, gets me misty as well. That so. kind of got me right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, well, it, I didn't even no see that getting, film, but just no the, getting away from the sun. Just, yeah. just, uh, just yeah. the, the, that gesture. Well, is, everybody calls Christopher Nolan this cold, distant director. And I'm like, all right, well, he might be cold in general, but – that was an important film for him, a personal film for him, and yeah, it's a, a moment where no, uh, he's a fucking stud. Yeah, he's guy. he's a he's a damn good director, and I just revisited Dunkirk recently because of Tarantino made such a big case for it on uh, rewatchables. I was like, oh, interesting. I was like, because I remembered it being kind of like long and exhausting when I saw it the first time. It's like I should look at it with fresh eyes, and second time around, it started to open up for me in, in new ways, and that that scene really caught me off guard by how powerful it was. The rewatchables is great. Made me want to watch, uh, you know, Unstoppable. Is it Unstoppable? Unstoppable, yeah. But the the best one they did was about King of New York. When they talk about that, they the Tarantino goes berserk, just like a true Abel Ferrara fan. But <laughs> I'd love to have a beer with Abel Ferrara. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Oh. So I, I I love I love this topic of manly movies and make men misty because it's it's a certain emotion and a tone that very rarely gets captured. Like you know, like we talked about it with the the Conan uh, live stream. Like for me, that's not quite misty. It's more like euphoria where i feel like my my soul swelling but it's a, it's a special rare emotion that some of these movies manage to tap into and i just can't thank you all enough for cooking up this wildly unusual topic because uh it's been an absolute pleasure well, talking about it with y'all it was, it was 
the moose. It was all the moose. It's all the moose, my baby. It's always all the moose. But I love that you mentioned <laughs> the Red River scene because that's something that's referenced. Not, I think it's referenced in the last picture show. It's yeah, definitely. It's the last movie that's referenced. shown at the before they close down the movie theater, and uh, yeah, it's one of the it's one of the most melancholy moments where you know Bogdanovich was a Howard Hawks freak, but this this era is drawing to a close and this theater is about to shut up. And and it's also I think referenced in City Slickers. Where they say, well, I don't know. I haven't seen City Slickers in a long time. I can't remember. City Slickers is a fucking straight up great movie. And uh, when his wife tells him, you got to go find your smile, and they kind of reference the Yeehaw scene. Um, James, Ron Underwood, I think, directed that movie. That's a cool movie. Um, Monster hit. I mean, it, it was a huge, smashing success. Also, one of those cool movies that has a cartoon as the credits. Why don't they do that anymore? They do the it here and there, off. like they did with Grease. They did it with a couple of things. You know, yeah, they do it. They show Killers, it at the Vampire end. Vampire Killers of the movie. does it, but every once in a while, movies yeah. will do an animated opening, and uh, yeah. But now I'll, they put it at the end. Why don't they fucking put it at the beginning? I'm all in. Or Tank Girl has a cool animated <laughs> opening. There are a bunch of them. Moose, I see you snickering away. What? What? what, what is a, one of my uh, favorite movies. Uh, that's not everybody's favorite movie. Is Sylvester Stallone's Oscar. I and, love uh, Oscar. Is this kind of related to me? It's, like, it's, I don't know what happened with my dad, your dad, but you must be related to me in some fashion. <laughs> I love fucking we were born from, But yeah, uh, in Oscar, in the very beginning, they have a little scene with Kurt Douglas. Or, yeah, And then it switches over to uh, a claymation guy singing Figaro. So it's all claymation in the front, you know, you know in, in the, that opening. It's fantastic. I love Oscar. Uh, Peter Rejart is great in that. One of the or last movie John Landis movie. Bill Tech, I know it might hurt your feelings to say this, but do you have any movie that Sly Stallone appears in where you've got a, a negative thing to say? I know Sly's your boy, so uh, if you're being totally honest, do you have a flick where you're like, you know what? Maybe Sly shouldn't have gone down that path. If I answer this question and I get to make a doc about Sly Stallone, how awesome he is, will you take the episode down? <laughs> no, this, this episode's <laughs> staying up until the end of time. Oh, motherfucker. Even the actors know that they've done bad things before. Um, no, man. If it's got Sly in it, it's always interesting. You know, he said this. Mm-hmm. If you guys have ever seen the Robert on, on the El Rey network, Robert Rodriguez's network, he has this thing called Director to Director. They're incredible. Had, I love them. I saw a bunch of them. Did you see the Sly one? I did not. I saw the one with Michael Mann. I saw the one with Tarantino. I saw the one with John Carpenter. can't remember the other ones, but I definitely saw a couple of them. You know, he wanted to get my man Boggy on there because he loves Boggy. That's one of his favorite directors. And um, they haven't done it, and they didn't do it for whatever reason. And, um, but this Stallone one, Sly says, you know, if you took Rocky one and you took Rocky Balboa and you put them back to back, it's designed so that they would match and blah, blah, blah. And then Robert does it. It's so cool. So I, I, I love him. Anything that he's in, he said that he does this thing where he, he says he takes dramatic scenes, he tries to make them comedic, and comedic scenes, he tries to make them dramatic. I just found him to be an incredibly interesting guy. Yeah, good, really good screenwriter, really good director. I really enjoyed uh, Rambo Last Blood last summer. and great. Yeah, I had, I had a great crowd experience when I went to see it. Total Strangers next to me, they were so into it. At the end, Total Strangers, <laughs> and we're all just like, yeah, like high-fiving and screaming and talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. Anyway, it was a really, really fun experience. He's amazing. I love that you mentioned the Rockies and the friendship between Rocky and Apollo because they're among the most beautiful things in, in those movies. And they make me cry like a baby lamb. And um, I, he's awesome. Um, I would say Judge Dredd would be the one that is like... <laughs> I saw the bad boy in the theater. I was on a five-week road trip across country 
And I told everyone I was with, I was like, this is a movie coming up that y'all probably don't want to go see, but I'm <laughs> take, pressing pause on the road trip to go see this fucker one <laughs> available. So that and Batman Forever on that same road trip. <laughs> Oof. I took my drag, my girlfriend at the time, Liz Gomez, and she sat there like, are you a fucking moron? <laughs> I was like, I guess, I guess. <laughs> it was slim pickings for comic book fans back then. Yeah, man. But he's made so many great movies that fuck. Yeah, no, he's a legend. He's an icon. Well, Moose... It's been awesome uniting you with Bill Tech on the podcast, and I think we just need to find the perfect topic where we can unleash all on YouTube <laughs> because I feel like whether it's Excalibur or whatever the case might be, but at a certain point, we're going to have to do the deep dive on something that's uh, of mutual interest to the two of you, and I think that could be a ton of fun. And then we probably do an episode just on our honorable mentions. We're not. We're, it looks like we're not going to do the honorable mentions. Whoa, 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 I, whoa, whoa. I got nowhere to be, <laughs> so lay, lay them on us. What, what, what are your honorable mentions that didn't quite make the cut? Don't you have some, Bill? I might. I might. Let's hear yours, pal. I, I can. I, I don't even have to go through the scenes. I can just uh, say some of them. And while you were talking, two of them just popped into my head. One was uh, the movie Always, uh, Steven Spielberg's movie Always. Oh, my God. And it's when he's a ghost and he's got to sit there. He's got to stand there and watch uh, that guy with his Richard wife. Richard Dreyfuss is a ghost. And yeah. His yeah He's watching his wife dance with the other guy, and he's got to sit there and watch it, and it's driving him crazy. That kills me. Uh, for me, the end of Mask from my boy Boggy, that, that when she goes in the room and she finds that Rocky's dead. But it qualifies as a manly movie that makes men misty. There's a lot of movies that make me misty, but no, because it's got Sherry in it. Yeah, so I don't no. think I don't think I don't know if Mass qualifies as a manly no, movie that, that makes me misty. That goes in the Steel Magnolias category. That goes into a, di a different kind of movie. It's like a, a what, what's a movie in a, a different word with the letter M at the front that would be apply to movies that are not manly but are still like must see movies that make men misty. Then you could put in the mask. All right, I guess that's fair. Can I say Moscow on the Hudson? That gets to the patriotic side of me. Did you, did you guys see Paul Mazursky's Moscow on the Hudson starring Robin Williams? I don't think so. I think the only thing I've seen by Paul Mazursky are Bob Carroll, Ted, and Alice, and Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Do you think that there might be a Paul Mazursky episode in the future? I know you don't like homework these days. I mean, I, I mean, for, for Bill Tech, I'll watch the entire history of uh, a film. Like, you know, you, you, yeah, so anytime, name the topic. Well, that or uh, Sidney Pollock or whatever, I, I'm in. Well, it's a really patriotic flick. And um, um, Robin Williams plays this Russian. And the first 45 minutes of the movie are in Russian. He's in Russia. And he defects. And he comes to America. And he's here and he's complaining about America for the whole fucking movie. And there's this like big giant trucker guy you think is a fucking redneck staring at him like you motherfucker stop complaining about America, and the guy walks over to him and he says, "I'm Russian, and you should stop that because where the fuck would we be if we were there?" And he gives him this big speech. That's the waterworks for me. And then it's and uh, it happens to be the Fourth of July and they light sparklers and don't get me started as um. There's a Saturday Night Live character. She used to say, don't get me started. Moose, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got any other honorable mentions that are, that are you're yeah, chomping at the it, bit to it, share? One that I tweeted about a while ago that it, it kind of shocked me. I was like, what the hell am I getting emotional about this? And it was the movie Twister. And I was like, <laughs> why am I getting emotional about Twister? And it was the, it was the relationship between Helen Hunt's character and uh, Bill Paxton's character. And at a certain point, you know, uh, Bill Paxton's girl and the Jamie Gertz, she's kind of saying, I I'm going, I'm going back. 
and uh, you know it's kind of over. And you can and the camera goes back over to Helen Hunt, and she's just watching. And the way she's watching, uh, it's 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 amazing because she loves Bill's character so much, and this is what she wants. But it's it's I, I don't know some about it. She, it's just you watch her and her feelings, and it gets me. I've never seen Twister, but uh, but if if I can throw my little two cents up when oh. <laughs> when a, Mary lives in my I tweeted something about Twister. When Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio dies in the abyss and then comes back, that was oh, the one. Yeah. Fight! 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 Yeah. Ed Harris on fire. It's like Ed Harris's best moment as like a leading man. He's obviously been a brilliant character actor throughout his entire career, but Ed Harris really got to show that had he zigged rather than zagged and with certain other movies, Ed Harris could have been one of the biggest leading men in the 80s and 90s. And just for whatever reason, he came real close, but then he kind of shifted gears into a character. Like from Apollo 13 onward, character actor all the way. Uh, that's just, just a crapshoot. Nobody's better than Ed Harris in Night, Night Riders or, you know, A Flash of Green. Or his know, dance like, scene in Creepshow when he's doing the boogie woogie. <laughs> he's got some moves. He had hair then as well. Yeah. I love Ed Harris with some hair. All right. Well, it's plug time, bitches. So what do you all have cooking in the oven? What's your social media? Any videos or projects or anything you want to promote or anything? Just now's the time to sing your own praises and give yourself a high five. Go, 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 Moosey. Me? I ain't got nothing going on. I'll be producing a, a video shortly with all the rest of my honorable mentions that I, I didn't get to. <laughs> Dude, you're, you can, can you give us the, the Temple of Doom scene that you posted earlier today? Because that was very special. What, earlier? That was like three days ago. What was it? Uh, well, I just saw oh, it I don't today. have anything to burst through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but those reenactments, man, they're just fucking incredible. Like that, the kicks, the poetry. Like whenever you go to the dark side, that's what I really because I see like we're like we're, we're getting a, a glimpse into your soul. And once again, I think a YouTube channel or or a bare minimum, a robust Instagram feed. I feel like Instagram, if you're doing a minute or less, Instagram is a much better uh, uh, location or platform for making yourself into the star you deserve to be. I've been having trouble fitting my stuff into two minutes and 20 seconds for Twitter. Oh, gotcha. Well, then, yeah, fuck yeah. Then YouTube's your man. You, I, I think the, the, the moment has arrived where it's time for you. When you decide to launch your YouTube channel with all your variety acts, we'll do a special live stream on my channel to help promote. <laughs> hey, Bill, did you, uh, did you hear my Batman poem that I did? I didn't hear it, buddy. I've been really stressed out. I'm raising a 16-year-old kid on my own. I got him full time. I know you, you never, you never get I my messages. I never get back from you, buddy. I got, I got a lot going on. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm phenomenally depressed and stressed out. So you mentioned I'm, the Batman, and I was like, "Did he hear my Batman poem?" I did not fucking hear you. <laughs> do you wish to? Do you wish to give us the Batman poem right now, or <clears throat> should people find it on Twitter? There's a hunter in the dark, a phantom of the night, a hero unsung whose name echoes fright. Predator to those whom abide no law, lurking below Gotham's midnight awe. Haze clad and drear that's black city waits, as villainous vermin roam its naked waste. And one figure stands in the dark out of sight, a form half man and half winged knight. A man whose name no criminal can withstand, for they have heard the chime. Beware of the Batman. <laughs> Shit I ever heard I'm done. Life. I have nothing else to add that can even possibly touch that. Cut. We need the fucking <laughs> cut. 
Yeah, I mean that that voice you're able to create it, it's special. I, I know you probably are too modest to accept this level of praise, but that's actually like like acting, not even in air quotes. It's like it's like it's actual performance. It's, 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 you are fucking the shit. I've directed people. You're the shit, dude. <laughs> you know what we should do is like we need to fly to Moose's home and shoot a short film where like he's like a grave digger or a fucking vigilante or something, but uh, unleash the uh, the beast. But, but Bill Tech, shoot it. I'll be the cheerleader and hold the uh, the boom, and uh, yeah, I think it'd be a, a worthwhile endeavor for all of us. Unleash, unleash the moose. I was about to say, I've never been to New York. Well, shit. What? I mean, yeah. Wait, 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 It's too scary. Whoa, 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 New York is like you, 70s New York. I know you edit this, but you can put this on the episode. You go ahead and record. I will sponsor the moose. I will bring the moose. I must experience New York with the moose. We're going to go to the Guggenheim. We're going to go to a couple great bars that Jimmy will pick out and some other wrong real people. What would we, we, we really make it epic is if we could convince Tony Stella to fly here from Berlin at the same time because oh, Tony man, and Moose Tony. have been having a bit of a love affair on uh, on Twitter for quite some time. So it wouldn't be the same if we didn't have the two of them in the same room together. You know, it can work. I mean, I met Cotto on here. It, it can work. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that's what I love about wrong reels. We keep bringing interesting folks together, but – uh, real quick, Bill, where are you on Twitter? Where can people find you? The fucking guns. <laughs> Everybody's flexing. Do it. Do it. Do it. Look at that fucking guy. He's a fucking savage. Wait, hang on, dude. I got, I got to go full screen and get a screenshot. One more time. Both y'all flex, flex as hard as you can. As hard as you can. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Um, um, what am I doing? I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to cut my Stevie Van Sant movie so everybody. Oh fuck! I gave it away. <laughs> I'll, oh, I didn't even hear it. I'll, I'll, I'll cut that if you want. If that, it needs to be. Got Bono and Springsteen and some cool people in it, and it might be about Stevie Van Sant, who's the coolest motherfucker alive. Might not be. I can't divulge it at this time. I might hear be. With Bono. Might you know? Can't divulge it. Bill, Bill, before you continue, I have to say that even though I have like ten more honorable mentions. You, I, I talked to you that one time uh, about Hal Needham and that that little thing between him and Peter Bogdanovich, okay? And you sent me. Jimmy, they had beef. Yeah. Oh, you, you sent see me it. and and, uh, and uh, Hopper when like they basically that's a Peter Bogdanovich character. Yeah. Hooper, Peter Hopper. It's Hooper, studies. right? It's Hooper. 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 I always call it fucking Hopper. Hooper. Anyway, you could tell that Robert Klein is doing uh, is doing Bogdanovich. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, we no, lost you. You, you. you got muted. You keep muting yourself. Sorry, boys. Well, here you go. The thing is, he sent me his sign-on. Oh, should I say that? Whatever. Uh, and I watched the movie at my house, his movie. The, um, the one, well, one day since yesterday. And I got to the movie, but there was one scene in it, I, and I wrote him about it. There was one scene in it that got me. And again, it's it's something between two people. And a lot of times, it's very Howard Hawksian of me. It's a lot of times, it's it's like two men, the, the 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 bonding between two men. It's a love affair between two men, and it's not meant in any sort of like I want to. No, no, no. Yeah. We roll around in the hay with you, but it, it, Howard Hawks love making love affairs between two men over and over with, again. With Howard Hawks, it's like two men uh, uh, bonding. Uh, the idea of professionals, uh, experts, and stuff that it it just kills me. But he he made this movie, and in in there. There was a scene where they talk about John Cassavetes, you know, called him up and said, hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing this 
this this picture. I'm directing this picture, but I'm doing a scene in it. You need to come out here and you need to direct me in this. And he's like, do you want to help me out? Yeah. And he's like, no, no I, I can't. You know, I got this going. And he's like, no, 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 I need you. Come on out here. I need you to direct me in this. And he got him out there. And I, I'm still not aware yet of of what's getting me. But he comes out there and he directs him in that scene. And that's when he realizes, oh, no, he just he just wanted to get me out. And get me here and get me working and get me doing something to help me take my mind off this. And it it got me. I got misty on that. And then I wrote to Bill right away and said, dude, this is what got me in your movie. The whole thing was great, but this is what got me. Very sweet. Thank you, my brother. That means a lot. Not a problem, man. All right. Well, there's no way we're going to reach a better emotional peak than that. So I'm going to wrap this sucker up. Moose, if you've got more honorable <laughs> mentions, we can do a part two down the road but i can't think enough for a great episode of wrong reel and remember to like subscribe all that good stuff if you want more, some more content in the short term hunt down my youtube channel geeking with james hancock but can't thank enough for listening hope you all enjoyed it but more importantly as always onwards and upwards it ain't like it used to be but uh, it'll do you know how to whistle don't you steve you just put your lips together and blow